We are now recording, and this is Out Now with Aaron and Abe. I am Aaron and Abe. He actually, he sent me a message. He said he has been captured by Grindelwald. That is his actual <laughs> message that he sent to me. That's what he wanted us to, to tell listeners. Out Now is a film podcast where Abe and I discuss new movies weekly. We cover some various movie topics, jump into a mostly spoiler-free review, and then jump back to the other fun movie topics. This is episode 344. 344. That's a fun number. And uh, the main... It's a double episode this week, actually. We're talking uh, Widows and Fantastic Beasts, colon, The Crimes of Grindelwald. Grindelwald? Grindelwald? Am I saying that right? Is that right? Grindelwald. Grindelwald? So he's German? Yes. Yes. The character is German. Okay. Is he actually? I was guessing. Is he German? He went to Durmstrang Institute. All right. <laughs> I can't wait to do our profile on Grindelwald. Um Anyway, <laughs> joining us tonight uh, to discuss Widows and the, the Crimes of Grindelwald, we have from Lenoir Autour, the creator of the Vampire Resistance Corps, the hit YouTube web series that's complete full season is now on YouTube. Searching for Michael Fassbender to ask him why he didn't get the call for Widows, it's Terrence Johnson. <laughs> Hello, and thank you for that self-promotion that I did not ask you for. Um, I will put your check in the mail thank you I'll put, it, I'll put it right next to my much bigger disney check um yes also joining us all the way from england host of the lamb cast hopefully not connected to the lestrange family tree it's jay cluett i i can't promise anything but yes i i have a different surname so we can assume that i'm not and well i mean we'll get to that we'll, we'll see how that goes also joining us all the way from the big apple possibly running for alderman it's maxwell hadded hello 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 Terrence, Jay, Maxwell, good to have you guys all here. How are you doing this evening? Good, thank you. How are you? Good. Pretty good. I'm good. Th thank you for asking. Yeah, I, I like going down the line here. Uh, Terrence is glad to have you back. Mm -hmm. it's, it's been a minute since uh, your uh, the, your web series that I mentioned has uh, has now uh, aired in full or is now released in full on YouTube. How's, how's that gone for you? Is that has that worked out? Uh, yeah, it was a fun thing, and it's all up there for people to watch and discover from now until whenever YouTube no longer exists. So, um, <laughs> it's it's been good. Good, uh, Jay. Good to have you back. I'm glad we were able to fit you in more than once this year. Yes, uh, it's odd. It's not springtime. <laughs> I'm normally like the the kind of March is my time of being on the show, and this is this feels very odd. Yeah, I'm sure the weather's remarkably different. <laughs> yes, it's it's still overcast. Uh, <laughs> it's, it, <laughs> Still, still our traditional British weather. But yeah, thank you for having me on. Uh, yeah. Well, for sure. I mean, we're, fit this in. we're talking a Wizarding World movie, so like, oh, we should, got, we should have written here at one point. I mean, for Indeed. One of these, for one of the five of these, that's going to go. And Maxwell, we just uh, we just spoke about a Toy Story the other day for our fun commentary, but uh, good to have you back here as well. Yeah, thank you. It's uh, twice in one week. I, I'm honored. Yeah. Or something. Yeah, something. You know, you know any of those work. Um. Let's get to some show notes real quick. I first up, I just mentioned the commentary track, and yes, there is one that is now available on iTunes for the film Toy Story, the original Toy Story. Uh, Maxwell, Scott, and Brandon all joined me to discuss the uh, 1995 Pixar film, and uh, that was a lot of fun. It's on iTunes. You can check it now. And uh, what else? iTunes reviews and ratings, good to get those. If you like our fun commentary tracks and the nonsense that happens in our regular episodes, feel free to go onto iTunes, search for our show, give us a rating and review. It'd be great. It'd help us pop us up in the old iTunes charts. And, uh, yeah, with that, let's move on. Let's get to some uh, Know Everybody, where each week we ask each other a question or two, try to set the tone for the podcast, or better get to Know, know everybody. everybody. I figured one of you would do this. So. <laughs> <laughs> I, I said it without prep, so I was really relying on this, and it worked out. Um, okay, I have a question for all you guys. 
what would your what would the role of choice be for you in a heist? Generally, you have like a wheelman and like a leader, maybe a tough guy, someone that knows the tech. What what would be your role in in a heist? Uh, that's a good question. I would be the one who gives them the money to pull off the job and stays at home far, far away from where the heist is actually happening. <laughs> You're the John Voight in this scenario from Heat. I was thinking like the Elliot, Elliot Gould. Sure, yeah. Elliot Gould, that works too. I like, <laughs> but, I, but I'd like to see you with like a handlebar mustache like John Voight has in Heat, and Heat though. So I mean, that's... Elliot and Gould and I share uh, the same level of boisterous Jewishness, so I think I could pull that off. And chest hair. I, I am not going to comment on on that, but okay. I was just guessing. I, don't know. I mean, I have a, I'd say above average amount. I, I I can't think of a role I'd be good at, so I think I'd be the person that screws the job up and like makes it makes it more of a plot and more of a film that needs to be watched. Because like I'm terrible at driving, uh, I'm not very athletic, so I can't be like <laughs> I can't be the uh, the Asian guy from Ocean's Eleven. I can't be. I'm not that wealthy. I can't be the benefactor. I could be the mark. I might have something that could be tried to st- be stolen or just conned into being part of the role. But yeah, I, I imagine I would die in the process of the heist. You, you could be. Oh. Yeah, so you, you could be like the Robert Shaw of the heist, or the. Or the I was thinking the, the Dennis Haysbert. <laughs> 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 it doesn't go well. Yeah, as far as the dying at the part of the heist, or the if you were the yeah. mark. <laughs> yeah. Yes, yeah. Yeah, yeah, I'm the, the the bitter old man who just kind of stumbles into the scenario. Darren, you got a part. I I think I'd like to be the either the tech guy or the driver. Those would be fun. Yeah, I'd pro- I'd probably go driver. I don't know why. I'm not particularly adept at like careening around curves against cops yet but i mean <laughs> it just just seems like it'd be a bit of fun you know probably more in the i'd like to be more on the erivo side than the haysbert side is the, the grand scheme of things here but yeah <laughs> i'd be wayne grow <laughs> <laughs> all right just get angry and shoot someone mm-hmm. um yeah, be the Val Kilmer of the heist. He seems to have everything going down the right way. I don't have that hair. I can't pull that off. Oh. There's no way I can do a ponytail. It's not going to happen. <laughs> not even going to try. All right. Well, that's how you play. <laughs> that's how you play. No, no, everybody. no, everybody. Let's uh, let's move on now. Let's get to NL Quickies. See ya. See, Jay listens. Jay, Jay listens <laughs> to the show. <laughs> he knows the roles. <laughs> that's good. Um, each weekend out now, we have one maybe the week that we talk about. We always have movies that we start the week that's Quickies. Yep. <clears throat> Thank you. Uh, let's um, let's start with Terrence. Terrence, what other movies have you seen recently, or what have you been um, watching recently? I know you've been watching one thing. <laughs> you were just gonna expose me on the uh, on the podcast like that. Um, <laughs> the non TV show that I should be watching, um, that I shouldn't be watching, I should say, that has nothing to do at all with DC Comics properties and superheroes um is i saw can't you ever forgive me the other day mm-hmm. and i thought melissa mccarthy was really great in it um the movie to me was just okay but i thought that she was really really phenomenal as uh as that part and then i saw the meg which i loved see i knowing you i figured you'd probably be down for this <laughs> you'd probably be down for that well everybody was telling me just how bad it was and it's not who? Who told you this? It's not great. But <laughs> nobody told me there is an additional 
character that shows up, I will say. And it's it just changed job. the whole <laughs> changed the whole movie for me. And I, I was like, oh, this is the time. Okay, this is absolutely amazing, fun time watching movies. So yeah, those are the two that I've seen recently. All right. Okay. <laughs> um, uh, Maxwell, what, what, what have you seen recently? Um, I also saw Can You Ever Forgive Me? Um, I agree that Melissa Mar- McCarthy was excellent, but I, I guess I liked the movie more than Terrence did. I, I kind of loved it. Um, I thought it did a great job of capturing what New York was like at, at a certain time, especially in the queer community. I loved the acerbic, caustic wit, the bond between the two characters. Um, yeah, it won me over. And uh, not a movie, but uh, I watched homecoming on amazon mm-hmm. which i cannot recommend highly enough um the the filmmaking is exceptional um the mysteries are engaging the performances are great and best of all the episodes are half an hour um there's, so there's no bloat every every shot and and the way it uh relays information is is careful and with intent and it doesn't waste any time there's no bloat so i do recommend that i'll say about both films, I, I I also really liked Can You Ever Forgive Me, but I will specifically highlight Melissa McCarthy because I think it's I think it's her best role as an actress. I I, I think she's absolutely terrific in here, and Richard E. Grant is wonderful as well. And um, as far as Homecoming goes, have you have any of you listened to the podcast, the Homecoming podcast that it's based on? No, I I, was, I, I yeah. try, mm-hmm. but I don't really like narrative podcast fair enough so i anna and i were big fans of the podcast before the the show had come along and so it's like oh this is interesting and yeah no i was i, I we both we we watched it together fairly quickly and yeah i, I was we, we were both really taken by homecoming and i thought it was a very interesting transition from a you know an audio format to a visual medium and i think sam esmail who did mr robot he like you're saying maxwell i think the the visual look of this film is pretty spectacular as far as its use of symmetry, its use of uh, different aspect ratios to convey different time periods. I think it's all really well put together and very well cast. You know, like, I mean, in the podcast was no slouch. It had Catherine Keener and Oscar Isaac uh, like heading up this thing. And so now you have Julia Roberts and Stephen James, who I think is very good, um, you know, pulling their way for the show. Along with others, like Bobby Carnavale is very good and, and uh, Sissy Spacek drops in there. So, yeah, I was a uh, big recommendation for Homecoming for sure. Um, which is on Prime. Um, Jay, how about you? What have you seen? I watched the the Ballad of Buster Scruggs. Yeah. Uh, because I have Netflix and not a lot of time to go to the cinema, uh, so I I watched it at home. I feel like I should have seen it in on a big screen just because it's a western and it's got that western scenery, uh, which looks wonderful. Uh, one day I'll see it in person, maybe. Um, but uh, I I really enjoyed it. I'm a big Coen Brothers fan. And I'm a fan of pretty much everybody in the cast. Uh, it's, it's, it's got a very Cohen-esque cast. A lot of people they haven't used before, but and I, I it's an anthology, so all of the not all of the uh, stories are winners. There's a Zoe Kazan segment I think goes on a little too long because it's like 45 minutes long compared to like the James Franco one is 10 minutes maybe. Uh, but I would have quite happily watched an hour and a half to two hours of just Tim Blake Nelson riding around on a horse singing <laughs> and shooting people. It's highly entertaining. <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I know you've seen this, Aaron. Um, yeah, I was, uh, I, I'm a fan as well. We're going to, Abe and I are going to have, I think, a more Netflix-focused episode coming up soon because of all the various auteurs that seem to be putting films <laughs> out recently. Uh, but I will say, yes, I was a big fan of Buster Scruggs. Anna and I saw this one too, actually. And um, seeing we saw it on a big screen, which um, obviously, yes, not everyone's going to have that chance. But 
you have Bruno Dobinell's cinematography here. It's it, it's a Coen Brothers movie. They tend to look very good. So yeah, it's a regardless of where you see it, you're going to see a good looking film. That's for sure. And yeah, there's a lot of highly entertaining stories. I think the Tom Waits one might be the one that grows on me into becoming my favorite. Um, yes, I, I just it's it's a short story starring Tom Waits. How often do you see that? Mm-hmm. Just where he's essentially the only person you see on screen at his at his like, wait, at his weightiest. Like he's yeah. so, he's so <laughs> he's, he's great. I really liked that one and the uh, the Liam Neeson uh, one. Uh, I'm delighted to see Harry Melling on screen again. Dudley Dursley, he's back with with no limbs. Yeah, that uh, one's just... like that one's easily my least favorite of the bunch. Oh, I, I see. I, I liked that one because it it goes some dark places. I mean, you you can see them coming, mm-hmm. but I I kind of appreciated that one. I would have liked a little bit more from Neeson. Um, he doesn't get a great deal to do given that he's top build in this film. <laughs> yeah, it just that's part of my issue where it's just like he's just kind of there it seems more like oh he was around <laughs> that seems yeah. like what, yeah more, so. more that we yeah. needed Liam Neeson for this role. The, the first one, the Tim Blake Nelson one, that, that's that's easily my favorite. Yeah, yeah, that's my favorite right now. But I feel like well, if I rewatch this film, which I will because it's a Cullen Brothers feature, Tom Waits is probably going to shoot to the top of that list just for how involved that one is. So yeah, Buster Scruggs, that's it. that's good stuff. It's on Netflix. Uh, I've seen a few things. Buster Scruggs, I was actually going to mention Buster Scruggs briefly because I don't want to talk about it too much, but I, I will mention that I watched uh, If Beale Street Could Talk uh, yesterday on and I saw this at a screening. The new Barry Jenkins film um for, uh, based on a uh, novel by uh, james baldwin um this is a very good movie um i don't know if that's a surprising thing to say <laughs> but it's a, it's, a, it's a really good movie um i i don't want to delve too much into the plot but i will because i feel like we'll probably have a, a bigger review down the line uh but uh stephen james who's also in homecoming and i forget the actress's name offhand kiki lane kiki lane yeah okay um they are very good in this film it it tells a very involving story but it has so much patience in how it lets everything unfold regina hall is also very good here regina hall regina king, king. is it king mm-hmm. i always confuse the reginas <laughs> every time and i think i have it right and i'm like that's the right one i'm gonna use that one and then it's wrong uh, anyway uh yeah though no, this whole cast is remarkable i think the cinematography is pretty fantastic there's a a, a a great like warm use of colors here which just really helps bring the the world of this film to life regardless if it's hitting the drama really hard or the romance really hard there's just a lot going on in the visual look of this film yeah no it's just it's just it's, it's very good i i hope it gets an audience because i know it's going to be in somewhat limited release um but it'll it's it's certainly well worth watching uh, just like moonlight is and I will also mention the film Candyman, which is decidedly different from *The Field Street Could Talk*, um, but it was released last week on a brand new Scream Factory Collector's Edition Blu-ray, um, so it looks better than ever. I haven't seen Candyman in at least a decade and a half, uh, but it's it it is easily like one of the best horror films of the '90s. And the '90s isn't particularly a decade where I look at like as seeing the, some of the best horror films, at least until *Scream* came along, kind of somewhat jump-started things again. But this movie is—it's such a great like, it's a mix of like slasher and kind of otherworldly ideas, and the way it combines them, I think, is very smart. Um, I think Tony Todd is a terrific horror villain um, that should yeah. be just as high up there, along with the other, you know, memorable horror villains that are out there. Uh, Virginia Madsen's the lead here, and she's very good in this movie. Like, it's Candyman is just like it doesn't get 
I don't think it gets kind of it's it's justice as, as far as how how good this movie is in comparison to the other kind of films of its ilk, where it's some it combines like elements of Silence of the Lambs, as well as things like uh, Nightmare on Elm Street, and it makes for this just really terrific horror film with the Philip Glass score, no less, which is wonderful. So yeah, I just want to shout out Candyman because I watched it. It's like yeah, this movie. Don't is say it another time. You've said would, it four times. Have now. I said it four? I was trying to count. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> very concerned that bees are going to appear any second now well i really like that willy wonka movie so there um (laughs) all right uh that's enough quickies yeah let's uh let's move on now let's get to our trailer talk where we talk about one of the newest movie trailers of the week what we thought of it what have you and this week we're talking about the trailer for holmes and watson the uh, upcoming will ferrell john c Riley comedy featuring these two as sherlock holmes and dr watson uh the film is directed by eaton cohen uh, not to be confused with Ethan Cohen, um, <laughs> uh, who previously directed uh, Get Hard, the Kevin Hart, the Kevin Hart Will Ferrell comedy. Is he's written a lot of stuff too. I want to start with Jay. <laughs> what, what, are your, what are your thoughts on Holmes and Watson? This trailer. Start with the Brit, of course. Yeah. Uh, I'm not a giant fan of of Ferrell and Riley's uh, double act. I think. Um, I'm definitely not a fan of, of Ethan Cohen because Get Hard is is awful, and like he wrote Men in Black Three, which is fine, and he wrote Madagascar Two, which is terrible. Uh, but it's 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 fun. I don't think we need another Holmes and Watson film now. I, I don't mind that they're making one. Uh, I like the cast they've assembled. Ray Fiennes' Moriarty is wonderful, mm-hmm. and we know that that Fiennes can do comedy. So I'm looking forward to seeing more than he can do than what we see in the in the trailer i like rob bryden as the strad uh but i don't know it, this this didn't get me i i i hated the line no shit sherlock in there it felt very much like uh the the mirror mirror trailer when they had like snow white snow way if i like that that kind of I forgot that was a thing if, yeah that kind of terrible non-humor uh whether it works with a bit more uh, room to breathe out either side of it uh, remains to be seen. But for now, I'm I'm not rushing to see this. Um, Maxwell, how about you? Um, it looks terrible. That's all I have to say. <laughs> <laughs> I, I really haven't thought, didn't spend any any waste any time thinking about it beyond that. It's just I, I just don't think it's the right approach for these characters that we've seen so many times and so many different iterations in the last decade. And uh, without Adam McKay there to um, spark, I just don't think it's going to be as good as uh, Step Brothers or some of the other movies where those two were together. Terrence? Well, I can't, I'm not going to be the positive one on this trailer because it looks terrible. I think, I think that there's room for like spoofs of things that we've seen done a million times and and in, in Sherlock Holmes is sort of rife for that. I think that even with that, that a lot of the jokes hew too modern to be really funny. Um, so like the selfie one with the camera, I was like, okay, but... And then he hits the queen in the face. Isn't that yeah, hilarious? So, and then she falls into the table and it's like, okay, I guess. <laughs> yeah, it, it's not, it doesn't look good. Hugh, Hugh Laurie as Mycroft Holmes also is, I think, kind of idea. I I agree with you guys because I think that 
there's so much potential that could be had by doing this. I just I think it's the Ethan Cohen factor that makes it a big issue for me. Where yes, Adam McKay or others that I think can tap into what works best with Will Ferrell doing this kind of thing, especially with John C. Riley. I think there's a way to handle this in a manner that, you know, works akin to something like not necessarily specifically this, but in the same realm as something like an Edgar Wright film, as far as how you homage something. But yeah, this I I'd want this to work, but having seen Get Hard, which I think leans into the worst aspects of what a Buddy Will Ferrell comedy can be, I can't hold my hopes too much high. That said, imagine me trying to like figure out what trailer makes sense to talk about with Widows and Fantastic Beasts, and this is what I had to come up with. I'm like, well, that's, a, that's a good, that's a good compromise. There's, yeah. a, there's a mystery. It's set in England. Uh, yeah, big cast. Okay, like that's that's what I that's what I was working with. Um, but yeah, I, I, I'm not too far off from what you guys stand here. I, I want to be optimistic just because I, I do like the idea of putting, like, of all people, Will Ferrell and John C. Riley as Sherlock Holmes and John Watson. Something about that just thinks, okay, that's so far off that maybe there's something there. That's uh, And with this cast, which I think is pretty terrific, it's like, okay, maybe. But yeah, based off what I've seen so far, it's 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 certainly not, it's not leaning in a positive direction here. And it's also, like, it's coming up in Christmas, and there's, like, very little so far like the trailer came out way late so it's like okay we're just gonna happen this is happening but like i remember like daddy's home came out on christmas day and i feel like i got advertisements for that forever when that movie was coming out this is just like okay it's just kind of dropping well uh holmes and watson arrives at theaters christmas day so we'll see what happens well that's our trailer talk let's move on let's get to our first review for widows my husband left me the plans for his next job all I need is a crew to pull it off. Why should we trust you anyway? Because I'm the only one standing between you and a bullet in your head. That's what I've learned from men like your late husband and my father. Is that you reap what you sow. Let's hope so. All right, that should have been some of the trailer for Widows. It's been six years since Steve McQueen's 12 Years a Slave won Best Picture, and the British director is back with a heist film from writer Gillian Flynn. Based on a British 80s TV series, Widows tells the story of a Chicago wife played by Viola Davis recruiting the widows whose husbands worked with her now-deceased husband, played by Liam Neeson, for a heist. As the men were all killed in a botched robbery, these women need to make money fast in order to pay off one of the two corrupt men running for political office. Things only get more complicated from there. Terrence, have you been a fan of uh, of Steve McQueen? And, and what, your, uh, what are your thoughts on Widows? Uh, yeah, I've really liked a lot of his movies. Uh, of the Well, a lot being, you know, Two out of the three. Uh, and I loved Widows. I thought that it is just the right pe- people acting, the right directing, DP team, and good writing all sort of coming together to form a really great movie. And when I watched it, I wasn't expecting it to be as deep as it was. <laughs> like, the thematic content outside of just, like, you know, women having to make their own in the world and, and trying to get shit done uh, uh, with as it regards to like race and, and gentrification and, you know, Chicago, I thought was really, really fascinating. It This movie has one of like my all time favorite shots, which you don't see anybody. You don't see any of the actors, uh, which was brilliant. Um, so, yeah, I, I really enjoyed it. And I think Steve McQueen and Jillian Flynn have similar sensibilities mm-hmm. even though you wouldn't maybe wouldn't necessarily think that at first but they made a really 
great pairing. So I, I loved it. All right. Uh, Maxwell, what were your thoughts on Widows? Yeah, um, I mean, my thoughts almost to a T echo what Terrence was saying. This is like the perfect blend of like a great pulpy thriller for adults with like A-less talent all delivering great performances and then a far more thoughtful film that deals with social and racial issues, exploring um, uh, the political system of Chicago and how it all intertwines together. And um, uh, I agree that I ne- wasn't necessarily expecting it to have those those deeper elements, but it works really, really well. Um, this is also a really great audience movie. Um, there are certain moments that happened where uh, people reacted in the theater in a way I haven't experienced in a while, just because the way uh, certain reveals happen and uh, twists and whatnot are, are so uh, well integrated into the narrative that that really, I think, pulled the rug out from under the eyes of, of the audience. Um, and yeah, I mean, everyone in the cast is excellent. And I agree that Gillian Flynn and Steve McQueen do seem to share um, a similar authorial bent. Um, I never would have thought putting them together would, would work, uh, but somehow it works really, really well. So, yeah. Jay, where are you at? I really liked it. This was a film I, I was very much looking forward to. I, I've liked, I haven't seen Hunger yet, but the other two Stephen Queen films I, I've really enjoyed, at, probably the wrong word to use, appreciated. Uh, and um, I wanted to see what he was going to do with a more kind of mainstream plot kind of like a heist i love i love heist films so just seeing a stephen green heist and this it's not what i expected uh but i i very much enjoyed it and as you'd expect with mcqueen the acting is is great across the board uh particularly the the supporting cast like i i can't remember the last time i saw liam neeson this good uh it's he's been kind of stuck in the the taken knockoff films for the past few years most of which i've skipped to be fair uh but he's he's very good here i think uh we he, obviously, he's not in the film very much. He dies in the opening scene. Uh, there's a few flashbacks, which he's great in. And um, Daniel Kaluuya is amazing. Yep. <laughs> yeah. He's just he's so intense. <laughs> he, does, he does so much with saying so little in some scenes. Um, of the main four, Viola Davis is fantastic. Elizabeth Debicki surprised me. I've, I've not seen her in much before. And I'm very impressed with what she did here. So, yeah, I, I went in expecting a lot and I, I got a lot. Yeah, I, you're not going to find much uh, disparity between our reviews on Widows, apparently, because, yes, it's it's a movie that I expected to be very good, and, yes, it is very good. When you put all of these good people together, I'm not going to say it's impossible to mess that up, because I've seen that happen, but this is um, one of those times where, yeah, uh, everything really worked out quite well. Uh, you have a tremendous filmmaker with a very talented screenwriter, and writer in general, uh, working together on what seems like a fairly pulpy plot, uh, but they invest it with so much more thanks to the setting, the actors, the 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 time and place it's set in. Uh, like, it's just everything about this really works well. I, I, I hesitate to think on, like, what things are kind of bring it down for me. And I could probably figure things out as we go along in our reviews of this. But yeah, as, as on a whole... I, I would agree that it's a good audience movie, by the way, too, Maxwell. It's a shame this movie did not make more money this weekend. Um, it hit a fifth place with $12 million. Uh, with that said, it's on the lowest amount of screens of the new releases this week. And you have, you know, a giant Wizarding World movie and The Grinch and Queen still, you know, doing their thing. So it's like, I get it. But at the same time, it's like, this is a big original film. Well, to a point. I mean, I know we were all, like, waiting for the 80s 
TV miniseries of Widows to be readapted into a movie. But, <laughs> but I mean, you know, it's original to a point and it has big stars and it's, you know, made for adults. It's not a superhero movie kind of thing. It's like, yeah, this seems like what everyone seems to be asking for, much like I said about Overlord last week. And yet, here we are, not doing nearly as well as it should. Uh, hopefully it will kind of stay going. But that's neither here nor there when it comes to the box office. In terms of quality, yeah, this movie just works really well. I mean, the... I, I was very curious to see what a McQueen genre film would look like. And I was very happy to get, like, from a visual standpoint, the the use of long takes, the use of clever movements with the camera. Uh, I, I thought that was all just really well done, really kind of hits in the hits in the territory of Michael Mann, but it certainly feels like a, like what McQueen would do in a film like this, like as far as the what we're seeing, how we're seeing it, the color palettes, what have you. Like it's just a, a great technical exercise um, in addition to being a well-acted drama first, a thriller second, I would say. But uh, let's talk about more about this cast because I think, yeah, we have a lot of people here. Like everybody's in this movie and they're, I think all of them are doing a very good job. Uh, but I will first highlight Daniel Kaluuya because I agree he is yeah. scary good in this movie. So good. <laughs> he's, and he's <laughs> yeah. and like you know, most of the supporting cast don't have like many scenes. When you look at this movie and you really piece it out, it's like some of these people don't have much to do here uh, beyond like the, the even the main four. Viola Davis is the one that's getting uh, probably Debicki, I guess probably get the most to do. Um, like because like Michelle Rodriguez and. And Cynthia Erivo is not even introduced until, you know, much later and still factors it. Like, yeah, what, what I'm saying is, yes, the supporting cast, they have bits and pieces to contribute, and yet they're all very good. What do you guys think? What, what other cast members you want to highlight for a second? Kaluuya was really, I mean, it's, it's nice to see, you know, after we watched him have to, you know, fight his way <laughs> past all of white supremacy <laughs> and get out, <laughs> uh, get to see him be the villain and super super evil and, and and charismatic at the same time because like you can't take your eyes off of him when he's on the screen but you're also like sinking down in your chair um i've i've liked elizabeth debicki since i saw her in great gatsby the uh baz Luhrmann one and i always like every so often she'll get like a a bigger role and a bigger role and bigger role and then this one that character could have easily gone off, off the rails in terms of like, you know, being the kept woman of the group with the crazy mother who is, you know, mostly known for her looks. But the way she sort of brings humanity to that character, I thought was really interesting. And then as she sort of grows in confidence in doing part of the plan, it's really, really, really fun to see Debicki get to tear into that material. Yeah, there's a there's an arc for her character, which not many of the others are afforded for the film. I mean, there's certainly yeah. you know there's a there's a place she starts versus a place she finishes. Which... Yeah, and I I think she does a lot with her physicality. I mean, you can read that arc just through the way she carries herself throughout the film and how that shifts and evolves. It's not always there in the dialogue or on the page, but she brings it across in a way that I thought was super impressive. I uh, I tend to stay at strong for Colin Farrell because I think he's generally very good in everything um particularly when he's not necessarily the full-on lead although i think he's had plenty of chances to show how good he can be in a lead role but i think he's very good here in this kind of i think both the kind of politician roles i think brian tyree henry is also really good um as these different guys running for office and they're both corrupt in their own ways and i like that i, I like how colin like the way he's positioned himself is like 
he's not necessarily a good person, and by the time we kind of get into this, we see more reasons as to why, but he's trying to be better than his father, played by Robert Duvall, who's even less of a good person. Like, it's <laughs> it's like a weird balance of, like, how corrupt are we here? How, where are we going with this? And meanwhile, you have Brian Tyree Henry as, as Jamal Manning, who's like a crime boss running for office, who's also intimidating in his own, which is, I think, a mix of presence as well as just how good I think he is. And he's he's in Beale Street. He's in Spider-Man. This guy's having a year. He's, he's got a lot going on. He's got Atlanta, obviously. And uh, he was excellent uh, in Lobby Hero on Broadway. Okay. Uh, which he got a Tony nomination for, so yeah, hell of a year for him. Yeah, so it's there's there, there's a lot here, <laughs> and, and but yeah, I I thought these two were good standouts amidst the very good cast. I really liked Garrett Dillahunt as well. I, yeah. I like Dillahunt in general. There's no there's no weak links in here. Like J- Jackie Weaver's got like two half scenes here and there, and you get a lot a lot from her character just from the little bit she does. Same with with John Bernthal. He's barely in the film. Yeah, but you, yeah, yeah, he, you he's literally like yeah. barely. But you get exactly everything you need to know by his one scene where he does something, and it's like, oh, yeah. okay, you're not a good guy. <laughs> yeah, really I also well like uh, uh, Lucas Haas, right? Yeah, that was yeah. His name. He looks like an adult in this movie. I thought. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he. I mean, he shares a lot of scenes with Elizabeth Vicky, and that was just such an interesting pairing. And I and I really enjoyed their scenes. I was surprised to see Matt Walsh when he showed up. Really. Yeah, <laughs> I'm not not annoyed. I big fan of Matt Walsh. Well, there's, wasn't there's, expecting there's, him in a Stephen Queen film. There's all these roles in the film that could have just been, you know, nobodies or, or small actors, and they got pretty substantial performers to play all these roles. And I think it also speaks to how you can kind of use casting as a shortcut to say what you want about a character. Mm-hmm. When they only have one or two scenes, like with John Bernthal, like he has a presence um, and sort of like a, a negative energy that he can easily bring to things. So by casting him, you exactly know what type of guy that is, even though there's not that much there for the character. Which I think it also says a lot about Steve McQueen, where it's like, hey, you want to have this, you know, two second scene in my film? It's like, yes, I want to be in a Steve McQueen movie. I mean, it, <laughs> it it's neat how that kind of resonates and can work to your advantage and play into exactly what you're saying, Max, as far as. An actor can bring a presence without having to do much, which is something that sometimes doesn't work as well. Sometimes I know Abe tends to bring this up too, where it's like, why is this person here? He seems like he should have more to do. Um, And that, I think that applies to films where, you know, the idea is not coming across as clearly as it should or what have you, where this is more, we only have, we don't want to spend too much time fleshing this kind of thing out because why waste runtime with that so we get somebody that can bring an immediate presence and yeah it, it right. works to the film's advantage in the same way that like for example a film that this obviously echoes heat where tons of character actors show up in that movie and they don't need to do a lot to kind of convey what's needed you just you know you, you need certain people to have a certain look or what have you you know this, this cast so this cast is excellent i think we've got we haven't talked about viola davis by the way who's the star of this thing but i think she's she's encompassing a lot of the things that i think viola davis is incredibly good at which is both bringing it a level of intimidation and strong confidence as well as playing you know fragile which she has to do in a number of key scenes your thoughts on davis she was great yes yeah, <laughs> yeah, i mean this is just further proof that she's like one of the finest actresses working there's you know she's exceptional um, I'd also just like to mention Olivia the dog. Um, who <laughs> I was very is, concerned about the well-being of that dog. I was too. I was like, I have a soft spot for dogs, especially in films. I'm always like, what's going to happen to the dog? And there's one scene uh, with Brian Tyree Henry where I was freaking out a little bit. Yeah. Uh, 
but the dog's in a lot of the film, and and uh, she gives a great performance. Um, dogs can be distracting <laughs> in movies, but she like she sells her emotional arc. Um, she's key to some of the film's uh, secrets and twists. So good, good on Olivia. <laughs> the uh, yeah, <laughs> G- game nights, Olivia. Yeah, uh, it, w- I, it was the same dog. Okay. It was, yeah. What a year for <laughs> I her. Do I recognize that? <laughs> oh wow, I, I did not. Yeah, I did not realize that. But that. <laughs> I'm a I, fan of a dog. I'm gonna follow yeah, this dog's I, career. I, I, uh, I turned to my wife and I was like, "That's the that's the dog from Game Night." She's like, "Shh." So yeah. <laughs> um, Terrence, you, you mentioned um the cinematography and uh, a key shot being like your one of your favorites ever. Uh, do any of you guys have more to say about the kind of the technical precision of a film like this? I'm, I'm guessing that shot is the car shot. Yeah, that yes, and that's all. I like at first when it started, I was like. This is so stupid. Why is the camera there? Like this, this is pointless. We can't see and anyone's then, faces. Yeah, I was like, "Come on, Steve. Like, are we really gonna? Oh, oh, wait a minute. This is all about story, you know, and and a sense of place. And it, it's it's rare. Like you, that's a shot. I feel like a regular director would suggest in like working at in like a studio setting, it would get cut. But because it's Steve McQueen, he's able to push something like that. In that one shot, it just told us all we needed to know about exactly where they were and what the sort of stakes were of everybody's lives. And I just thought it was great. And the nature of Chicago in general, too, where you can be in a you can be in a place that is more of a low income side of, of the community and then, you know, turn a couple of blocks and suddenly or on a, a much wealthier side. Um, and, and seeing how that plays into, yeah, the story, like you're saying, that is fascinating to me. I mean, I, I, I don't know. I've been to Chicago. I don't know Chicago, but the film does a very good job of bringing Chicago into the, you know, to to an audience and letting you, you know what's going on, even if you're not completely understanding of what an alderman does or how wards work or what have you. I think the film visually yeah. gives you an idea of what it's trying to kind of bring, especially with the film being set in 2008. Um, and what that means uh, for these characters. Yeah, I, I agree that I was, you know, I was going to bring up that shot too. I'm glad someone else did. Um, visually, the film also um, uses reflections quite a bit, and I think it, it's really smart the way it, it engages that, particularly with Viola's character. Um, there's a lot of impactful moments where she's looking in a mirror, looking uh, in the glass doors in her apartment, and and the way that her face reflects or that use. Um, a blend of flashbacks with what's happening now um, that's really interesting. Sort of like she's always looking back to piece together what to do now without saying too much. I thought that was really clever, too. What did you guys think? There's not too much. What did you guys think of McQueen's handling of action in this movie? Because that was something I was very curious about, too. In the heist film, you're going to get maybe a shootout, maybe a car chase. This one kind of has those things one more than the other what did you guys have any, any thoughts on how he was able to kind of assemble these scenes it, it seemed quite it didn't stand out to me um so i i, I it seemed quite kind of straightforward i, I wasn't keep looking keep having an eye out for how he was handling the action when i watched it so perhaps on a rewatch I'll, I'll notice more things but uh it just seemed seemed i don't want to say workmanlike that seems uh, insulting uh but um it wasn't bad it just i think his, his forte is elsewhere Oh, yeah. I don't disagree, but I don't think, you know, he tried to do anything too fancy, um, just enough to get across what was happening. And I do think the the sort of climax keeps a pretty high level of intensity um, without being too flashy, 
which I don't think it needed. Um, it's a pretty violent movie too. It gets a, yeah. some some stuff, really effective stuff across with small bursts of violence, um, especially uh, in a car towards the end where I was like, oh damn. I guess not to, de- and we got a whole other review to do too. But like, not to delve obviously into spoiler territory. But this film does have some twists in it. Were was there any? Were you satisfied with the kind of the turns the story took? I, I think it's- I was disappointed. Okay, that's my main uh, deterrent for the film. I obviously won't go into what they were, but going in, I had an inkling for a direction I didn't want the plot to go into, and I was annoyed when it went that that way. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm trying to be as vague as possible. <laughs> I hear what you so said because I, I actually, I I agree, and I but I'm also like, and I've had time to think about it too, so I still haven't really resolved this in my mind. But I think there, if I'm correctly assessing what you're referring to, and I only think there's one main thing you might be referring to, I I wonder, I don't know what the alternative is because I think it it adds to what we're experiencing with well, with Davis's character. I guess, and, yeah. And, yeah. and why why things happen the way they did and how that's supposed to reflect on the people involved in it, the, the specific people involved in it, I guess. But, yeah, I didn't see that coming at all. I didn't see it coming. I would, I, agree, I would agree with that. I love the way McQueen reveals it to us. Like, even even as, you know the movie and he knows that in like 30 seconds we are going to find out this really big thing he like lets viola davis act to cover those 30 seconds in a shot in a shot you know Mm -hmm. sort of a single on her and it's like they're like what's gonna happen is somebody gonna like jump down from the roof like is is like money gonna fall out of like where where (laughs) where is all this going um and so i think that even though i can understand why there's some disappointment there i think the filmmaking behind it made me not be like oh so that's what was going down you know uh because i was so engrossed of whether or not she was going to open a door (laughs) (laughs) most conversation points i have about widows would rely on going into exactly what happens in widows so i'm trying to think of other other areas we can talk about because since especially since we all like this movie i because i've tried to figure because i so i because i i really like this movie it was one of my most anticipated films of the year but there is like a, a factor that's holding it back from me liking it like the full way to be like this is definitely in my you know high on my top 10 list and I can't quite picture why. I, I it it maybe have to do with the how much pulpiness we get out of a story like this. But then at the same time, it's like, do I need more kind of fast and loose dialogue to to kind of make the interplay more exciting for me or whatnot? Or does it work as a kind of a, a real world uh, scenario involving these characters and what they're going through? Any thoughts in that regard? Like, is this? Does Widow stand high for you guys as far as like best films of the year, or does it just work as a really effective exercise in this genre? Oh uh, no, it's it's in my ten right now. Okay, it's probably in my ten too. I think um, it's 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 lower down in the ten, but it's it's up there. It's just one of the one of the best films of the year I've seen. But I, I understand where you're coming from. Like um, when it comes around to to uh, award season, I don't expect this to be in the best picture uh, discussion. I can't put my finger on why, mm-hmm. but I don't. I just don't see it being there. Uh, in the same way that I also I can't imagine as as strong as 
the entirety of the cast is, I can't pick out particular performances that I'd expect to see nominated for any awards. I, I don't think like D- Davis is a really strong lead, mm-hmm. but I don't think she gets enough showy material to do <clears throat> to be a kind of a best actress nominee. I'd I'd love it if she was, but I, I don't see it happening. I, I'd I've lo- seen, love to be proven wrong. I've seen Stranger Things happen than Kaluuya getting some supporting actor buzz. Um, yeah, I think he would maybe have the best shot other than Viola Davis. I think what's interesting about this movie is it does deal with with so much. There's so many different elements going on, and maybe it leaves some of those elements unfinished, which isn't necessarily a bad thing because it allows you as an audience member to reflect on them. But because it is trying to say so much and deal with so many different types of characters and their arcs, it doesn't necessarily fully complete all of its thoughts. Maybe that's what's holding it back for you a little bit, Aaron. I'm not sure. That's, I think that might be part of it. It's a, I think it's a mix of, yeah, I mean, because even then I look at something like, I keep mentioning Heat, but I think Heat is such a, a prime example of, of what works, with, you know, what goes alongside, I don't know, set it off. Um, as far as the movie's <laughs> going. I mean, because, I mean, yeah, the, the work is there, and the work is there in the actors, regardless of how in-depth the characters are. And, and like, yeah, I... You know, you you put enough good filmmaking and good acting together, and it's not a matter of do I need this to be shorter to make it work. It's like, yeah, I can watch a three-hour crime epic. Um, at the same time, I don't know. My, I really like the trailers for this film. I like the people involved. I was excited to go into this thing. Maybe it's just a matter of my expectations were like in this unbelievably high area, and it's just like it's not quite hitting that, but it's still a very effective film for me. Um, well, that's your own fault then. Yeah, it, yeah, it is completely. <laughs> yeah, it, and it's not something I tend to do too often, as far as find myself putting expectations way too high. At the same time, I've also just seen a lot of really good movies, so it's like. Well, well, look. Certainly, also, you know, whatever film the director follows up with after winning Best Picture, there's going to be a certain level of expectation. Mm-hmm. Always curious to see what they do next. Well, here's and... a fun, here's a fun question then. Do you do you think this? Do any of you think this succeeds? Uh, Twelve Years a Slave. Is it better than twelve years? Yeah. Is that what you're asking? Yeah. Yes. I. They're <laughs> very different films. Uh, I think Twelve Years a Slave is trying to do more uh, and succeeds on a similar level because it's trying to do more. I think I, it's, I haven't seen Twelve Years a Slave since the theatre. It's, it's not I'm, a film I'm, I'm compelled to go back to. Yeah, I'm certainly <laughs> more likely to watch this. Definitely. Uh, and more times. I, I can agree um, with that, but I've surprisingly watched it. I've watched it maybe four or five times at this point. Like, I've seen that movie a lot. Like, it's it doesn't hit me in the same way that other slavery dramas hit me, which I, and it's weird to say that, but I feel like it's because McQueen well, is. That's fascinating. I, yeah, no, I, but it's weird because I thought about that too. It's like, why am I so more much more drawn to this than watching other movies that deal with similar, you know, the same topic? And maybe it's because McQueen's approach to it is just just seems different to me. Maybe the fact that he's you know not from America, uh, and just the way his filmmaking style differs in that manner. Like I, I don't know what it is, but there's something about it where it's not like I'm getting joy out of watching, but it's more like there's a watchability factor for Twelve Years a Slave that for some reason I I'm not affected as much by the the torture that's taking place, and I can just appreciate it as far on a, as a filmmaking uh, at a filmmaking level. I don't know, but. Yes, I would still watch Widows more than I would watch Twelve Years a Slave when it came down to it. Probably more more than Hunger um, as well. But, um, on on the that... shame, I don't I don't go out to shame every week. <laughs> yes, <laughs> I, I know someone who does. I don't I don't particularly <laughs> like shame, but that's okay. 
It's oh, like, man. They're rough uh, watches, that's for sure. None of, none of these yeah, are easy. This is the, easy, this is the most years, palatable of watches, that's for sure. 12 years sort of structure and tracking of time is what makes me not like it as much as this one. Like, I think visually and thematically what he's able to do with Widows and sort of a shorter amount of time without, you know, in a much sharper script is what makes me like it better. But like 12 years is a very at the time I got out of that movie theater. I was like, he's been a slave for two seconds. You know, they don't really track his time as a slave very well in that movie. So that is something I've heard before. And I don't disagree. I, I do think it's more effective than well, than you're giving it credit for. But I mean, I, I, I hear that. And I, I can see I can see. I, mean, that I, from, for sure. I said it worked. 12 years of slave is really great as a portrait of slavery, but not great as a narrative about a slave who was there for 12 years. Fair enough. If that makes any sense. Well, that's been a review of 12 Years a Slave. Um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, you have asked. I know, I know. <laughs> any other thoughts on Widows before we kind of wrap up and move on to the next film? Oh, um, yeah, I have one other thought. Um, yeah. Apparent, apparently Hans Zimmer scored it, and it's like the least Hans Zimmery, least, <laughs> yeah. like... Like, uh, it's like barely there. The score, I mean, there's no score in like the first 30 minutes, and it slowly, uh, as things get more intense, unfolds. But, um, kudos to Hans for restraining himself. At the same time, it's not a particularly memorable score. So, I just thought that was interesting because normally, the last decade or so, when he scores a movie, it's like a cello is like screaming in your face while you're watching a movie. You're like, calm down, Hans. Yeah, so we're not, um, not going to see him shredding on guitar Coachella to the Widow's School that, anytime soon. That being said, uh, when I saw him in concert, it was pretty awesome. But, uh, yeah, no uh, no Widow's in concert. <laughs> Just uh, Billy Holiday needle drops and stuff? Yeah, the, the some of the needle drops are really good. Yeah, I agree. I love that song that uh, was used in the trailer and also used in the film. Yeah, no, I, I I also, I again, I think that the first trailer specifically for Widow's, I think, is pretty phenomenal so it's like yeah that, that set me that set me up for um what i was going for with this film but uh all right well we got another film to review so let's uh let's move on from there when should people go and see widows uh jay when should people see widows uh in cinemas now go terrence uh right now <laughs> maxwell yeah um stop listening to us and go watch it what are you doing yeah pause this podcast go see widows in theaters come back and listen then come to the back rest. yeah press play and you're gonna keep going so we're gonna move on now <laughs> throw our... your phone away <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh so yeah that's our review of widows we all liked it uh let's move on let's get to our next review for fantastic beasts colon the crimes of grindelwald address what's that a safe house in paris why would i need a safe house in paris should things at some point go terribly wrong it's good to have a place to go you know for a cup of tea. My brothers, my sisters, the clock is ticking faster. My dream, we who live for truth, for love. The moment has come to take our rightful place in the world where we wizards were free. Join me. Or die. That should have been some of the trailer for Fantastic Beasts, called The Crimes of Grindelwald. 
we are back in the Wizarding World in another story written by J.K. Rowling and directed by David Yates. We learned where to find the Fantastic Beasts, and now we have to deal with Grindelwald, the Dark Wizard looking to make those like him rise up as the ones with all the respective power in the world. Newt Scamander is recruited by Jude Law's Dumbledore to locate a totally not-dead Credence in order to keep him away from Grindelwald. Newt is trying to stay out of choosing sides, but he sees this as an opportunity to rekindle something with Catherine Waterston's Tina. Eventually heading to Paris with a memory restored Jacob, Newt will encounter lots of magic and wonder with the rest of the cast, also delivering plenty of plot-driven info to keep us all up to speed. I'll just re- I'll, I'll note right now, Terrence is recusing himself from this review, uh, so I'll just be hearing from uh, Jay and Maxwell, and I will start with Jay as the resident Brit here. What did you think? What did you, where, where are you with this... Um, with these fan- with this Fantastic Beasts films, like the idea of having this prequel series, and what do you think of this particular entry? Well, I, I really like the Harry Potter franchise, and I didn't much care for the first Fantastic Beasts film in that I've seen it many times, but because my wife loves it, uh, I'm unclear why. And, and when I saw it in, in the cinema, it was the only time I've stayed awake for the entire film. Uh, every time since, it just tails off towards the end and it's quite dull and any any scene without a fantastic beast on screen uh i don't care about that's that's it's the first film was a film of two halves it's the fun entertaining kid-friendly half that i love and the colin farrell credence don't care who these characters are uh murky Meyer. uh and this this film continues more with the murky Meyer. uh i think this film is garbage <laughs> it's there's too much plot far too much plot in too many directions there's like five different plot strands occurring simultaneously and we kind of work our way through each one and by the time we've gotten back around to the first one i've forgotten who these characters are where they are what they're doing and why and there's so few people i care about and the uh they've kind of painted themselves into a corner by using fantastic beasts as the uh the name of the franchise because it means they have to keep Newt as the lead, which fine, but they also have to try and crowbar in these fantastic beasts for like Deus Ex Machina's various scenes, and it 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 has to be just to get the kids in, like give the give the younger audiences a, a reason to watch to see the continued adventures of the Niffler, which I'm I'm fully there for anything the Niffler does. The Niffler is adorable, and we get baby Nifflers in this one. We get Nif- Nifflets. I, I I would like. I would like three nifflets, please. I want to fire one across the room from a champagne cork and listen to it adorably bounce off the wall. That's uh, my highlight from the film is that one little segment. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I, I just think there's far too much going on. There's uh, a, a giant twist at the end, which I care not at all about. It, it seems there either to infuriate or to not care about. And that seems two reasons not to do a twist this is this is my worst film of the year i hate this film oh, Jeez. Wow. okay <laughs> uh maxwell where are you with the fantastic beast series and this film so i, I tend to be pretty uh biased towards anything anything wizarding world um i have a harry potter related tattoo um if that helps establish just a little bit of where i'm coming from what um, is it? it's uh, no it's <laughs> the silver dough it's snape's patronus um okay. but um, and I did like the first movie. This uh, this one has some pretty significant issues. Um, I think the biggest being that the way it's uh, 
the way the narrative is composed with all the different strands and the way it reveals information feels far more like a long novel than a film. And I think this is really a case of JK's lack of screenwriting experience coming through. I can't help but feel that if she had worked with someone who had a better grasp on how to properly structure a screenplay, um, it would have been stronger in the same way that for the play, she's like, hey, I've never written a play before. I'm going to write the story and then hire an accomplished playwright to um, come up with how to properly structure this and, and write the dialogue for a play. Um, I also think, and I'm not one who's that bothered by it, but things with canon are getting pretty sketchy. <laughs> some things are like not adding up and... I think that's going to piss off some people more than me because whatever, it's just a movie. All of that being said, um, I did enjoy it for the surface level pleasures for Jude Law being incredibly sexy as Dumbledore. Um, For the wands and the magical creatures, those nifflers are adorable. Um, I didn't even hate Johnny Depp in this movie. Do I wish it was someone else? Okay, but he was more engaging than I expected. Um, So I liked it. I enjoyed it. um, But there are definitely significant issues. And uh, I don't see how there's going to be three more of these. I think it should be wrapped up as a trilogy. That to me is like, okay, this definitely feels like a middle film. There's like a a dark twist ending, not dissimilar from the way it's been done since Empire Strikes Back. Oh, no, what's going to happen? Blah, blah, blah. Okay, let's wrap it up. Let's jump through time, go to 1945 and wrap it up. I probably sound more negative than I am because I did like it. Uh, but it's got problems. I'm looking forward to the, the 1945 film because we're going to get a Fantastic Beasts war film, <laughs> and that I, I want to see dragons fighting in World War II. I, I want to see that, ha- and we're going to that's going that has to happen. That has to happen. And the yeah. have little helmets and stuff. Right, <laughs> just a little a little battalion of nifflers, little phalanx of nifflers. Great. I um. I feel like next to the like super fans of the Wizarding World, such as Maxwell, I feel like I'm the ideal audience for a movie like this because I'm a casual viewer in that I didn't read the Harry Potter books, but I saw the films and I liked them some more than others. And then I I was rather surprised by Fantastic Beasts and Where to Find Them, as you may recall on this podcast. I walked in with no like no expectation here or there. I'm just like, all right, it's another one of these. I liked Yates's approach to the franchise. So let's see what he does in this kind of prequel series that nobody has much of a you know an idea about because it's just a new story that's not based on anything specifically beyond I guess traces of history that's alluded to in the different books. So it's like, yeah, all right, let's see what that is. And I like that movie. I was I was quite a fan. I would agree with Jay that the stuff involving Credence and Colin Farrell's character in the it was like all right, like that's that's a little more like whatever, like that's fine. But I was into the I I really liked Eddie Redmayne more so than his Academy Award winning performance, um, or his uh, award winning performance in Jupiter Ascending. Either one of those, I, I liked. <laughs> I, I liked I liked Eddie Redmayne a lot as a Newt's commander. Like I liked that character. I liked the camaraderie between him and uh, uh, what's his name, um, Dan Fogler's Jacob. Da- Jacob. Yeah, J- Dan Fogler's an actor. I don't tend to like in like overtly comedic roles i like him in some of the drama i've seen him do but there i was like yeah this is great um and yeah, so yeah I, I, uh-huh. the, the walking dead stan fogler is yeah the walking dead stan fogler is very like, entertaining like, yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah but no i like this cast in general from the first film and i liked i like that you're mentioning how it's fantastic beast i like that it was for me it seemed like it was it was focused on this fantastic beast stuff and then it just happened to have this like mythology thing going on in the background that eventually you know became the climax or whatever so yeah i was fairly disappointed in this movie because i 
walked into that first one thinking, this would be whatever. And I walked out thinking, oh, I'm actually interested in where this goes. I don't know how we're going to get four more movies out of this, but I want to see what happens. And walking out of this film, I'm like, how do we need three more of these? This doesn't make any sense to me. I, I don't understand. The The problems are quite clear, as you guys have already mentioned. It For me, it's, it's all plot and no story going on in this movie. Like, everything is people racing to tell each other stuff about things that they either already knew or just learned and need to make you aware of. And there's no time for characters to just exist with each other. There's no fun scenes. Of, I mean, there's fun scenes of, what, Newt and, and Jacob hanging out, but there's not too many of those. Like, most of the film is all of these characters you kind of like separated from each other, which is already problematic. And that's not new to middle chapters that take a darker turn as far as, like, you got to separate everybody out so they deal with their own personal dramas. But none of the dramas really mattered to me. And the mythology stuff that, Jay, yeah, you mentioned, as far as the murky stuff with, like, Credence and, and now Grindelwald, that becomes, like, the big point of the film, and I'm just ne I just never felt all that invested in it. I think Ezra Miller, he's fine, but I don't care about his parentage. It feels like, it feels like if you made a movie entirely about whose Rey's parents were in Star Wars, and I don't want to see that movie. I, that, that movie does not appeal to me. I'd rather see the movie that I got instead, uh, or anything that's not, you know, a movie about whose parents are who. I don't care. I just rather see the characters I already know doing things in this world. And from te from a technical level, there's things to like about that. I think um, Philippa Rizzolo, the cinematography here, there's a lot of to admire. I mean, this movie costs... I assume a shit ton of money and it looks like it, like it doesn't look cheap. It looks like a, a 200 uh, million. I think there you stuff. go. <laughs> so <laughs> it, it looks like a $200 million movie. I would say, I don't think it looks compromised and it's budgeting. Um, and again, red main costumes so, are great. Costumes are great. You know, I read that the, um, specifically the auras costumes, like they're inspired by the third man. I was like, that's cool. Like, I like that. Everybody's wearing like trench coats and hats and stuff. I'm like, yeah, I'm into this. Yeah. I continue to be into like the period aesthetic of these movies. Yeah. I think that's a neat, yeah. uh, if you're going to make a prequel series to Harry Potter, I think that's a, that's a great way to emphasize it as far as the production design and the costume design. I mean, Colleen Atwood was involved. I, so, you know, this will win an Oscar or whatever, but, um, the, uh, <laughs> first one did, so yeah. you know, I don't know. Maybe Mary Poppins. Maybe, yeah. Too many animated characters, I don't know. But, <laughs> but no, I mean, all of that stuff, like, technically, yeah, it's mostly quite good. Although I think the beginning chase sequence is all kinds of visually confusing as far as what's going on with Grindelwald escaping. Mm. That said... Imagine yeah. seeing this in 3D. Oh, my God. It's like, it's like, like a I might as well wear, wear a blindfold. Yeah, it must have been a nightmare. And it's all muddy and everything. That yeah. said, speaking of Grindelwald, I think Johnny Depp's pretty great in this movie, and especially in his the, the climax, in the the big speech that he has to give in this movie. I think that's a really great scene, um, as far especially as concerning what he's saying. Regardless of Depp as a person, I think as an actor, he's not phoning it in here. Like I think he is putting his all into it, and even regardless, the way that scene's written and what's what he's expect like it's it makes him like this more grounded version of Voldemort uh, as far as how, what he's saying about the what he wants and how he's convincing people whether or not I buy certain characters that are convinced by his spiel that's a little bit more questionable which comes down again to the lack of character and the focus on plot but I I like what they're doing with this villain stuff and I agree Jude Law practically steals this movie with like what four scenes that he's in like he's great yeah, he, he's great, he's in great. This, which is not unexpected he's jude law but yeah he's really good as dumbledore like he, he and again super sexy <laughs> just going to reiterate that very important point 
But um, he wears a beard very well. But there's yes. there's other stuff that just goes nowhere. Like Zoe Kravitz is in this movie, and she just like stops the movie completely dead to like explain the most complicated family tree I've ever heard. It's like <laughs> literally, literally, she pulls out yeah, she a family pull, tree. Yeah, it's like the Back to the Future <laughs> chalkboard scene, except no fun whatsoever. Ever. Like, it's this. Well, just... it, it, it feels like the end of a like a Poirot story. With just yeah. everyone's gathered and we're just going to explain yeah. this this it, thing you didn't know before and who's responsible like, for this. It goes nowhere because <laughs> the result of this is like, so this didn't solve anything. Like, what, what, is, yeah. what was this but, here? Oh, wait, we still don't know? <laughs> okay. A, I spent a lot of money on this sequence. But it yeah, it just does nothing for you. And that's a lot of this movie as far as the characters that come to certain realizations. Part of the other thing that bothered me, this movie reverses so much of what happened in the first movie. Like, it's everything that kind of ha- ha- happened and ended, it's all, like, redone again just so you can, like, still have Jacob around and you can uh, you can still have Credence being a very important part of this, even though I just don't care. So it's just a lot of that stuff where I was like, okay, I wanted to like this. I liked that first one to a surprising degree. How do you mess up a Harry Potter? They spend so much money on these movies. Well, like, what's... The one thing I'm left in that it's not something I, I, I often say is, like, I feel like it needed one more big, exciting, fun action sequence. Yeah. Like, it, it's sort of, there's so much exposition and narrative, mm-hmm. um, and I guess uh, your mileage will vary, listeners, uh, regarding how much you care about uh, complicated mythology and lore of characters you don't know that much about. Um but like it sh- there should have been a, a you know an exciting wizards duel or something else involving magical beasts. I, I did like the sequence in the uh, the archives room in the French Ministry of Magic yeah. with those uh-huh. creepy cats. But even that I felt could have been a little longer. Well, that's the, there's no like there's not much of a drive in this movie. It's it's just a lot of characters separated and talking about things that need to be done. And the only thing of note that happens is in the last twenty minutes. So it's like, yeah. well, why did I go on this journey? It, it feels to me like the first two-thirds of Captain America Civil War, where the whole purpose of this film is is establishing who's on what side. Mm-hmm. Like at, at the end of it, like who's who's on Grindelwald's side, who's on Newt's side. and But where Civil War is kind of better, in that you then get to see that fight. Mm. Whereas here, it's like, okay, so you're over there, you're over here, you've died. End of film. Well, and you take that one step further. <laughs> I like seeing those characters get to the place, places where they are on those sides. Where this, I don't necessarily dislike mm. the people in this movie, but I'm I'm less interested by the conversations they're having because they're not they're not quippy. They're not they don't tend to be that fun. Save you know for some scenes with Dan Fogler or whatnot, where it's like yeah okay we're still in a movie that's for all audiences. Like it's not going to be bo- it's not boring, but it just doesn't amount to all that much. Which is just a shame because I I wanted to like this and the Harry Potter series is pretty solid. Like I, I don't I don't tend to think of one as like being an outright bad movie, but this is like the first one. I'm like, no, this <laughs> I do is, now. This, this, this doesn't really cut it for me. <laughs> like, just, what else? Uh, <laughs> um, I don't know. Do you guys like the score, James Newton Howard? Yeah, the score is pretty good. Well, I. I... Got, got the feels when we got cut to Hogwarts and you get the Harry Potter th- theme. Okay, that it, it feels cheap to do that to me. <laughs> like, I mean, there is a lot of emphasis <laughs> on Hogwarts, a surprising amount, I would say. Uh, but I did like it, like especially as one that again doesn't have like much connection to the series beyond I've seen them. It, it was neat to be like, oh, we're in Hogwarts now, that's fun. And like McGarnacle shows up, that's a <laughs> yeah. thing. Like I was uh, like, okay. That, that... Frustrated. How old is McGonagall supposed to be now? Well, well how old is Dumbledore supposed to be? Well, so 
According to... Magic lore. Magic lore, (laughs) McGonagall was born in 1937. In my research, McGonagall's (laughs) grandmother was also named Minerva McGonagall. So until proven differently, that's her grandmother. Okay. Uh, I probably am wrong, and and JK is just changing her own canon, which it's her right, it's her canon, but still kind of (sighs) like... Also... If we're talking about canon, uh, in the book The Chamber of Secrets, it is mentioned that Dumbledore taught Transfiguration before becoming Headmaster. So I guess we just assume he taught Defense Against the Dark Arts and then Transfiguration. Maybe he was filling in as a substitute for the day. Yeah, was it a, Just as Snape did in Prisoner of Azkaban. What, what month the, does this movie take place in? Was it, Maybe it was summer school lessons in the, as a Defense Against the Dark Arts. Look, I, I like the idea of Dumbledore's Defense Against the Dark Arts teacher, and I, I particularly <laughs> liked the flashback... Um, to when Newt was at school with the Bogart. I thought that was a nice sequence. Um, so I get why they did it. Transfiguration's not as interesting or doesn't have as much uh, ability to help out with the narrative. Like they set up uh, Lestrange's uh, fear, which we, you know, becomes important in the third act, but I don't know. So, I mean, Maxwell, you're, you're like a super fan of the Harry Potter franchise or what have you. Yeah. To, not to, I'm not trying to downplay it in any way. Or de, 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 I don't know. Yeah. I, I'm curious what the, what that kind of audio, what the mega fans love, like if, if this is like a movie that works for them as a whole, um, or if it's something that's not necessarily roundly rejected, but certainly lesser than. I, 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 mm. I don't have a definitive answer for you. I think it's sort of split as is the case with a lot of, um, things where there's a second slightly unrelated series that comes afterwards. Like there's the people who just love it so much that are just happy to be back in the world again, seeing a few of their favorite characters in different light. And then there are others who are so attached to the originals and the mythology and the canon that they're just like pissed that this is potentially changing it and not about the same story that they want it to be about. Um, just as there were with the Star Wars prequels or the new Star Wars or, you know, things like that, um, where people, you know, it's sort of split down the middle. I've heard both sides from, from people I know who are also super fans. And granted, it's only been the opening weekend, so it's hard to get yeah. a definitive look at it. Uh, I, I look, I'm just looking at, like, you know, like the cinema score for this is a B plus, I believe, where the first one was like an A. And even the box office, it's a little lower. Uh, like the first one opened to like 75 plus, I think, something like that. This is over yeah. 62. So Although this keep... made more overseas, which I think is um, mm-hmm. partly the Johnny Depp effect. He still is pretty huge overseas, more so than here. And the marketing for this movie has been everywhere. Like everyone yeah, knows every... this thing's happening. I walked by an AT&T store today and there was a cardboard cutout of Dumbledore staring at me. I was like, what? Why? <laughs> and then you took it home. <laughs> well, they were close. <laughs> otherwise, I might have. <laughs> so it's, so I'm just, I guess, yeah, I am curious what it kind of generally, if the, because I know the first one for the, I mean, I think on a general level was liked and it made a ton of money. Like it made yeah. enough money to like basically cover the cost of the next three movies. So it's like, I, I just wonder like where this kind of falls and if this, what this movie, because I know the reaction even beyond critically, it's just not as, not as strong. I, I'm curious if that changes anything as far as do. I don't, I don't, do, I don't know if we'll be able to really tell until we see what happens with the next one. And I'm so curious what the next one does that doesn't, you know, finish off this story. Like, what's right. what's left to do? Unless there's a lot of because this one, this one already feels like a placeholder. Do you have two other movies that are placeholders before you get to well, like some inevitable duel? <laughs> I'm not. I, I don't remember who said it, but um, by calling this the Fantastic Beast series, they have definitely 
hamstrung themselves a little bit into having to have these certain elements there, even though clearly J.K. Rowling at least seems more interested in other stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, so maybe they take two movies off and just do cute little Fantastic Beast stories, and then the fifth one uh, resolves the Dumbledore Grindelwald duel that we all know is coming. Because or, or you just uh, you, you, you you pull up you pull a Snoke and resolve that in the next movie, and then the, the two movies after they're like something completely different. I don't know, like. It's possible. Which I'd be, I, I'd be happy to see. That'd be neat. That'd be a neat turn, you know? Again, I, I, you need I a dragon think... war movie. <laughs> Dragons in World War Two. This has to happen. Yeah, I, I, that thought actually did occur to me um, the other day. I was like, well, maybe the third movie will resolve this, and then we'll keep going further and further following Dumbledore uh, at Hogwarts, and maybe we'll meet people like Sirius and Harry's dad when they're at Hogwarts. I don't know. Especially since it's called Fantastic Beasts. It doesn't seem like it's necessarily attached to the ultimate idea of you know grindelwald and dumbledore being the key factors to where this series rounds itself out in but i don't know i can't i don't know i can't i mean i was i think a lot of people were surprised even in the first one that it was going to bring grindelwald into this franchise in such a significant capacity i don't think that was on anyone's radar as to what the point of these films was so yeah i again being so casual, I'm just like, oh, okay, there's a, there's an evil wizard. <laughs> that was my reaction to this. Like, oh, it's Johnny Depp. That's that's something, I guess. Yeah. He has white hair. That's good for It'll him. be curious to see uh, how the fans feel about this. I think there needs to be a little bit more time. And honestly, the box office for the next one, I think, will really tell the tale. Certainly, if this one has big drops, that, that helps, too. Although, again, it's killing it overseas. And this is a global marketplace now it's not just about domestic box office like it was more so 10, 20 years ago. Yeah, and it, it is uh, dominated by people that are not from America. <laughs> so it's like we're not right. exactly dictating the, 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 totally. where this movie's going. Uh, so. You know, and look, I'm I'm curious to see what happens in the next one, which is as much of a function as I, you know, I'm, it, what I'm invested in is the relationship between Dumbledore and Grindelwald and not at all Credence. Um, which is a shame because I love Ezra Miller. I think he's a magical fairy of a man. I think he's so interesting. I think he's given some brilliant performances like in Perks of Being a Wallflower and or We Need to Talk About Kevin. Um, but here, and it's not, I don't blame him, but there's just, the character is so dull. Like he just walks around looking sad all the time. So I don't care about that at all. But I think this does set up some interesting conflict between Dumbledore and Grindelwald. I think it hints enough at the the actual uh, nature of their relationship while still being able to keep it a movie for families, which is what it is. You know, there's definitely a version of this where it's more queer than it is, but I don't think it's not queer. I mean, the, the, the subtext is hardly subtext based on how, how law plays it, especially. Right. And I, I I agree. I think it's, it's Jude Law's performance that um, makes it evident um, more, more than anything. So that's what I'm, I'm curious to see and why I want to see the next one. As much as I am curious to see, like, what the hell are they going to do and how are they going to stretch us out to five movies? So, maybe, uh, maybe, maybe Miller's so dour because he doesn't get to, like, you know, dress any, any way beyond, like, simple vests and, like, some pants. Well, maybe, maybe he will in the next <laughs> yeah, one. Yeah, I'm saying, I, in, the, in the next movie, now that he's, like, he's free to, you know, he has his wand, he's got everything he needs, he's like, yeah, I'm going all out here, guys. Let's, let's right. do this. He can create whatever clothes he wants. He's magic now. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Ridiculous. Um. Well, I, I would say I'm probably the most positive out of all of us, even though I do recognize its issues. Um, mm-hmm. I'm just basic and, and had fun being in the world and watching Dumbledore and wands and creatures. and The rest is frustrating, but 
there are still certain intriguing elements that I'm curious to see what happens. And so. it's like, I'm there with you as far as I am. I, I want to keep going. I don't want to not watch these movies anymore. I like, I think, again, I think Redmayne is very good in these. Like, I think he yeah, does he's a good very job. charming. He is. Like, I, know, he, I know a lot of people dislike him, but I, I find him very likable in these movies. And I, I liked um, I liked his brother, too. I, I thought that was an interesting relationship. I like that they made um, him not like him. Like he seemed like yeah, they made him not like him, but mm-hmm. he also isn't like an asshole or or someone awful. Like they had different uh, approaches to things, but um, it would have been, I think, easy to make him like the typical yeah, like, awful. Uh, I mean, well, I, I think mm-hmm. I think it's been revealed that Newt is is on the uh, the autism spectrum. Yeah, I uh, which, mm-hmm. which makes um, an infinite amount of sense. I, I yes. mean, I, I know. Uh, Certainly one of the elements of autism is a like overly like incredibly passionate fixation on a certain thing, if not a savant level with them, which clearly his um, relationship with magical creatures. <laughs> I was quite taken uh, by the scene where that sort of, I don't know, dragon type creature was loose and he took out that stick and was uh, shaking it. I thought that was funny. Drops into the cape. Yeah. Yeah. I, I like uh, I was disappointed there weren't more uh, interesting uh, Fantastic Beasts this time around, but the, the the cat dragon, as I called it, seemed was very entertaining. Yeah, uh, yeah. It, it made for a great uh, Chinese New Year sequence, I say. Um, <laughs> yeah. So when should people go and see this movie? Jay, I have a feeling it's not going to be in theaters. I'm going to say don't. Uh, unt- until, this is the thing, elements in this film could be really important depending on the next three films. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to say, wait until the next three come out, look at the scores of them, like the reviews that come in for them, then decide. But right now <laughs> it's, it's not worth your time yet. You need to kind of see how important, see where it fits in overall. I like if it. the next three films are garbage, then just be done with the franchise. At this point, I'm not sure I'm going to see the next one. I, I'm going to wait and see what the general consensus is. I like involved takes on our rating scale. That That's good. Uh, <laughs> Maxwell, when should people see this movie? Um, if you like the first one or are a fan of the franchise, see it in theaters. If not, I don't think it's something that um, general audiences necessarily have to rush out to see. Yeah, I'm in a similar boat. I would say, I I would say wait wait till Redbox and rent yourself a fancy Blu-ray of this movie because I I wanted to like this more and I was disappointed that it like of all the franchises, this is the one that didn't deliver for me this year. So um, yeah, I, shame. But we'll, we'll see what happens next. Anyway. That was our review of Fantastic Beasts, colon, The Crimes of Grindelwald. Uh, let's move on now. Terrence, you back? Hi. <laughs> All right. Let's, uh, let's move on. I believe it's now time for games. Games. <laughs> that was a proper flashback. <laughs> yes. I forgot about that. Yeah. <laughs> I, I always love the xylophone. <laughs> well, thank you. That was, of course, the improv theme for games. And uh, this week I have a game. It is Taglines. This is where uh-huh. I go over various taglines of films based around a similar topic. And you have to guess what the film is based off said tagline. It's pretty straightforward. Mm-hmm. If you think you know the answer, say your name and the answer. The theme of this week's game, uh, this week's tagline game, is heist movies. Oh. Heist movies. Oh, I'm, I'm so bad at this. Well, we'll see. We'll see. You, you, you never know. You, don't put yourself down, all right? You, we, we don't, not everybody's <laughs> yeah, a Marcus you're, Robinson. You're playing against me. I'm going to be <laughs> <laughs> All right. Here's... I'm also skeptical, so good luck, everyone. Well, well good. <laughs> here's, here's the first one, which I was going to use as an example, but I'll just use as a regular question. It is left with nothing, capable of anything. 
J. J. Widows. It is Widows, yes. that's Because I know how you play these games. <laughs> <laughs> Here's the next one. All you need is one killer track. Terrence. Terrence. I heard Terrence. Baby Driver. It is Barry B. Driver. I was writing, I was writing Terrence and saying Baby Driver at the same time, so I said Barry B. Driver. So that's what I thought. <laughs> Here's the next one. First of first of three of a series, you'll you'll get why. Not of a franchise, but it, you'll see. You'll understand. Five criminals, one lineup, no coincidence. Jay. Jay. I was muted. <laughs> the usual suspects. The usual suspects is the correct answer. I'm saying my name. I'm saying my name. Just, <laughs> little red light was flashing. Here's the next one. Four perfect killers, one perfect crime. Now all, I, all they have to fear is each other. Oh, wow. Jay? Jay? It's not, but Rafifi? Nope. <laughs> that's that's too commercial of a tagline for Rafifi. Right. Like, I, I think of Jules, Jules Dass and be like, oh yeah, that's good. <laughs> Is there anyone I can think of that had four people in it? <laughs> four perfect killers, one perfect crime. Now all they have to fear is each other. It is a... Maxwell. Yeah. This is a guess. Uh huh. Natural born killers. Incorrect. Oh. Are there four killers in that? Um, it is an uh-huh. er- it is an early '90s film, and I will say, <laughs> Natural Born Killers does share a very common element with this movie. There's a movie I want to say, but I know it's wrong, so I'm not going to. Well, we've both been wrong. Join us. I took a guess, and I was wrong. <laughs> <laughs> I will say most of the characters do not have names in this movie. Oh, Maxwell. Maxwell. Reservoir Dogs? Reservoir Dogs is the correct answer. Uh, that's six. Oh, yeah, I would never have gotten that. <laughs> there's only four involved in the heist. There's Nice Guy Eddie and the... And, uh, but no, there's six, there's six colors, isn't there? Wait. Pink, Move blue, on. orange, white, <laughs> blonde. Yeah, there's blonde and... Pink, brown, blue, blonde, uh, well, white. That's, the, that's what the tagline said. I don't know. <laughs> that tagline is bullshit. <laughs> Here's the next one. Two brothers, three arms, one incredible plan. What? Jay. Jay? What? Oh, what was it? Logan Lucky. Logan Lucky is the correct oh. answer. That's a good movie. It is. Uh, oh. <laughs> Here's the next one. This one seems so vague. Blood always follows money. Oh, God. That could be like a million. <laughs> I will say this. It's a Best Picture nominee from the past five years. What? What's the tagline again? Blood always follows money. I have a guess, but I'm 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 skeptical about my guess. The heist film, best picture nominee. I think there was a best supporting actor nomination um, there. Maxwell. Terrence. Oh, Terrence. Well, the town. Incorrect. Maxwell. Oh. Hell or high water. Hell or high water is the correct answer. I mean, that tagline is 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 so vague. But... Yeah, I know. That's why I had to get clues. When when you said the best supporting actor nominee, it clicked in. That well, it was... the, the, the town's also the best supporting actor nominee. It's a good guess. But that wasn't in the well, last five years. It wasn't. The, town, the yeah. town actually got... Hell High Water didn't get a supporting actor Yeah, Jeff Bridges. Yeah, Jeff, Jeff Bridges. Bridges. What? Yeah. Jay yeah. Bridge. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> Here's the next one. Stealing stones is hazardous. <laughs> oh my god. Stones is hazardous. This film is from the past twenty years. No Oscar nominations. Wow! It How is... narrow of a of a window that I, is. I'm trying. <laughs> Stones. 
Stones heist movie. <laughs> heist movie. I can say ensemble cast, but that's pretty much every heist movie because it's a heist movie. Okay. Okay. Um, Maxwell. Maxwell? Snatch. It is Snatch. Oh, hell, that was for me. (laughs) (laughs) Here's the next one. It looked like the perfect bank robbery, but you can't judge a crime by its cover. (sighs) This is a director venturing outside his comfort zone. Parents. Yeah. Inside Man? Inside Man is the correct uh-huh. answer. Oh. Nice. Here's the next one. I like this one because it's like, it's like, this is like something somebody would say like in the theater. They're having so much fun, it's illegal. <laughs> <laughs> I love to hear somebody like watch this movie like, they're having so much fun, it's illegal. Just yell that out in the middle of the theater. And people like start clapping for that guy. It's like, yeah, they're, you're right. That's true. <laughs> I picture the most obnoxious audiences when I go to the theaters, apparently. Um, yeah, they're having so much fun, it's illegal. Uh, it's a remake. I will add that. Jay. Jay? Ocean's Eleven. Ocean's Eleven is the correct answer. Wait! <laughs> Here's the next one. Oh. Two more. The greatest adventure history has ever revealed. Hmm. <laughs> this film has a oh. sequel. Yeah? Okay, Maxwell. Maxwell? Um... Oh, God, what the hell is it called? With Nicholas K- uh, gosh. Oh, uh. Jay, Jay, Jay. <laughs> Maxwell, you got it? No, I can't remember what Three, it's called now. Two, My mind has gone blank. No, one, I lost it. It's gone. Uh-huh. Jay, did you have it? National Treasure? National Treasure is oh, the correct God. answer. I would have never gotten that. <laughs> For whatever reason, I just, my mind could not come up with the title. I knew the movie and had a total brain fart. I, I caught Book of Secrets on TV last night watching uh, us having dinner. So. Of, all the, of all the movies that have like four or five entries, like well, that seems strange to me. There hasn't been a third one of those. Well, so I can t- I can just explain this a little bit because I actually I I looked into this because I was like, why isn't there a third? So it's because they so since they instead of doing a sequel to a movie that made a lot of money, they're like, guys, let's pivot and let's make the Sorcerer's Apprentice, which admittedly is a better movie. Um, I like Sorcerer's Apprentice quite a bit. Um, but that movie was not a moneymaker, and they just, despite having, like, plans for a script for three, which it does exist, Disney's like, we're doing other things. We got we got all this Marvel and Star Wars stuff. So it's just like, just like how there hasn't been a Tron 3, they just, you know, there, there's no, like, reason for them to want to go to this for some reason, I guess. Hmm. National Treasure especially, because it's like, this seems to work. It seems like I mean, a- I can think of a good plot for the third one. They got they got one. <laughs> they they have they a script have to out steal there. The president's wig. It has all the secrets. <laughs> <laughs> They're woven right in there. <laughs> National treasure. Red Dawn's coming. Um, here's the last one. A tale of murder, lust, greed, revenge, and seafood. Oh my gosh. Seafood. I cannot even begin to think about what this. I feel like the seafood is something you should really think about. Seafood. There is an Academy Award winning performance in this film. Oh, Maxwell. Maxwell? Fish Called Wanda. A Fish Called Wanda is the correct answer. Another one for Jay. I love that film. (laughs) It's a great movie, and I got got there eventually. Fish and chips isn't seafood. (laughs) 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 Thank you for your hints, Aaron. They, uh... Hey, one of you, one of you had to get him. So, but despite all that effort, Maxwell, you came in second place because Jay is our winner this week. Wait, 
Who could have seen that coming? Not me. <laughs> I'm, I'm recounting just to make sure this is true. Yes, it's true. Okay. <laughs> Thanks. Terrence, you did get on the board, so that means you do get you do get to come back to this podcast, so it always works out. Oh, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> he seems so enthused. Well, that was good. Let's uh, let's move on now. Let's get to our feedback. Feedback, feedback, feedback. Thank you. Uh, this is where we go over the various questions and answers on our Facebook page, facebook.com slash podcast. We asked a number of questions for you, the listener, and you gave us answers, and then you gave us questions that we can answer. we got quite a few questions this week, too, so we'll get to those in a bit, as well as the questions. But first, we must do our poll, where each week we also put up two films in a head-to-head battle against each other and let the listeners decide which one gets to survive and which one is erased from existence. I think that's the most succinct way I've ever described this poll. Um, so, with that in mind, I decided to make this incredibly complicated. And go yes, for you were mean go this for, week. I went for Crime versus Fantasy Edition, and so I put the films Heat against Lord of the Rings, The Fellowship of the Rings. Um, this is one of our most uh, entered polls that we've ever done. Before we get to what the results of that poll are, let's get with you guys. What, what would you pick between these two, Heat or Lord of the Rings? Well, I, I picked Lord of the Rings. Mm-hmm. I love Heat. I love Heat more than Fellowship of the Ring, but I've seen, I've, I've watched the six Lord of the Rings films more than I have the one Heat film. So I just had to keep that franchise. Cause if you lose the first one, you lose all the subsequent ones. Whereas there's been no, there aren't five sequels to Heat, which there should be. I'd like that, but yeah, I had to pick Fellowship. I'm definitely keeping Lord of the Rings, mm-hmm. um, because I don't think Heat is that good. <laughs> <laughs> Maxwell, you got a dog in this fight? Yeah, I'm. I, I voted in the poll, and I'm keeping uh, Frodo and friends for sure. Uh, not not to disparage Heat, I do like Heat, but Fellowship of the Ring just means more to me. I had no idea where this was going to go when I picked. Oh, it's up. it's sort of a brutal and unfair fight. Oh yeah, I am aware. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, every now and then, I like to put up the polls that'll piss people off, <laughs> and, that's, <laughs> and that's what I went for. Um, so I've just clicked it now just to see, and yeah, Heat lost thirty nine percent to sixty one percent. I think it was going the other way for a while because of, based off comments I was reading on the poll. Uh, but yeah, that's where we are. Um, I would have chosen Heat mainly because I just don't care that much about Lord of the Rings, so it doesn't bother me. Um, so there you go. And yeah, the Hobbit movies. Oh no, I can't get those again. Uh, um, but, two uh, of them are good. Sure. I agree with that two of them are good. Sure, okay. Um, <laughs> do I need to see them? I don't know. Uh, but yeah, that's where we are. Heat's gone now. Can't talk about Heat anymore on this podcast. This is so great. <laughs> good, thing we got the, <laughs> good thing we got the Widow's Review done before this. Um, <laughs> so yeah. All right. Now let's move on. Let's get to the questions. I'm going to read through them all, read the answers. Uh, if you guys have any responses to any of the questions, feel free to shout them out as I uh, after I get through all the listeners. First up, what's your favorite ensemble of characters from a heist film? Adam writes Fast Five, The Usual Suspects, and Heat. Uh, Tammy writes Inside Man, and I echo the others with Ocean's Eleven. Uh, that's going to come up more. Philip writes Bottle Rocket. Uh, Mike writes How About Bandit and the Snowman Taking the Coors Beer? Uh, Jeffrey has Sneakers. Justin has Ocean's Level was good, but I really like the group in Ant-Man. Uh, Christopher has the Italian job, specifically the remake, which I'm like, okay. Um, Scott has Asphalt Jungle, featuring a very early appearance of Marilyn Monroe. Chris writes, sorry to follow the herd, but I have to agree with Ocean's Eleven. They just got the cast so right. And uh, Maxwell, you chimed in. What do you have here? Um, I also said Ocean's Eleven. That's just such a charming, likable group of, of actors in, in that film. I've got, I've got to reclaim some territory and say a fish called Wanda. 
That is a, uh, it is a solid set of characters. It's a John Cleese, Michael Palin, <laughs> Kevin Klein, Jamie Lee Curtis. Just... Snatch is also a good, yes. uh, great ensemble. I and Lockstock. I own Lockstock yeah. for that matter. Yeah. Even Rock and Rolla has a good ensemble too. Yeah, no, I, I like Rock and Rolla. It's not quite a heist film, I guess, but I like Rock and Rolla. No, Roll true. It's yeah. not quite a heist film. I like Rock and Rolla a lot, though. That's what. That's one where I would like a sequel. <laughs> like, I'm like, yeah, I want more of this. <laughs> and it, it, it's not great, but I like the cast of the remake of The Italian Job. I do like the cast. I I'm not huge on the movie, um, but I I do like the I mean the original Italian job is very good. It's it's a really good yes, movie. true. Yeah. I like Edward Norton's mustache. <laughs> I, see, the, my issue with the Italian job is how I how much I know Edward Norton didn't want to be in the movie, oh. and it just shines through every time I. Oh, not it's only so clear. Times. He's, it's, he's yeah. like gritting his teeth and in pain trying to deliver those lines. <laughs> mm-hmm. So it's like whatever. Um, and yeah, I'll stick up for Fast Five. By the way, too, I like the Fast Furious movies. And Fast Five is a pure heist film. So. They put The Rock and Vin Diesel together in an unrealistic fight where Vin Diesel wins. It just makes sense, I guess. But okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, all right, next question here: Who's the most intimidating actress out there? Tammy writes Angela Bassett. Mike has Sigourney Weaver. Justin has Carrie Ann Moss. Adam writes Charlize Theron. And Michael has Michelle Yeoh. Intimidating actresses: Kathleen Turner. Yeah, yeah. Kathy Bates. Can't think of any. <laughs> the ones you listed. Sigourney Weaver. Yeah, the the list here is pretty strong. Bassett, I think, would be my pick here as far as, like, this is inspired by Viola Davis, who I think is also quite intimidating if she wants to be. Uh, next question. What are your favorite examples of unexpectedly tough or scary performances from actors? Kareen has Aaron Taylor-Johnson in Nocturnal Animals, James Woods in The Onion Field, and Robert De Niro in Cape Fear. Shudder. Amy, although I think like that's kind of expected. But anyway, Amy has Dan Stevens in The Guest, having just come off of Downtown Abbey. Uh, sorry, Downtown Abbey. That's what I like to call it. Um, Jeffrey has Scary, uh, Harrison Ford in the third act of What Lies Beneath. I think it's an underrated thriller all around, largely due to Ford's outlying turn as a villain. Also, Henry Fonda in Once Upon a Time in the West. Adam Wright, Steve Martin, and The Spanish Prisoner. Good choice. Tom And Tom Cruise in Collateral. Philip Wright's Tom Hanks in Road to Perdition. And Mike has Robin Williams in The Final Cut. I liked all his more serious and darker roles. So unexpectedly scary or tough performances from people. Mm. Any thoughts? Anything? Uh, yeah, I can't think of anything other than what's listed. Uh, yeah, me either. <laughs> it's, a, it's a good list. It's a good list, yeah. yeah. It's like, you know, Michael Shannon's always intimidating, but that's not unexpected. Yeah, it's, not it's kind of, yeah, it's kind of <laughs> that's what I can think of is, yeah, I'd expect to be intimidated I mean, by him. And, and, I thought yes. it was because of Daniel Kaluuya, because it's like, I, I don't deny yeah. that he has the talent to pull this off, like, going into this movie, but it's like, damn, that dude's scary in this movie. <laughs> like, he's got this thing. All right, next one. Who's your favorite cinematic wit- magician or wizard? Uh, Jim Dietz, friend of the show, writes, uh, Nicole, Nicole Williamson is Merlin and John Bormore is uh, Excalibur and Gandalf. Chris writes Gandalf. Ivar writes, I feel by answering this is a trap to incur your wrath. Uh, Justin has the whole team in Now You See Me. <laughs> no, nope. Oh, God. <laughs> Sorry, that answer is incorrect. That's not your favorite uh, heist group either? No. Uh, the, uh, mm-hmm. the Four Horsemen, I believe. Um, yeah. <laughs> Adam writes, I was about to say Gandalf, but actually I'm going to say Dumbledore. Uh, Fre- uh, Philip writes, Hermione Granger. Todd writes, does Obi-Wan count? Unless Uncle Owen says that he's a wizard, is just crazy old man, you know. Uh, and Michael Lee, friend of the show, writes Doctor Strange, and William writes Gandalf. Favorite magicians? Michael Caine in The Prestige. Does he? Does what's his name? Is he Cutter? He, is that his name? Uh, yeah. Does he do like, magic? He, 
does a little. He's like teaching the trick with the little birdcage. Okay. Like, you know, I, I, I like Hugh Jackman and Christian Bale in that as well, but Michael Caine's my favourite because it's Michael Caine. What about David Come Bowie as, uh, as uh, the ultimate magician? <laughs> but that's that's <laughs> more Tesla. scientist slash engineer. You know, <laughs> I wouldn't go as far as saying he's a magician. Fair he's enough. Great character, great real life person, but he's an inventor. <laughs> Way to shun this down. Technicality. He's an inventor. I'm a, I'm a pedant. I'm sorry. Any others, guys? Nick Cage and Sorcerer's Apprentice. Uh, no, stop Wicked it. Wicked Witch of the West and Wizard of Oz. Margaret Hamilton. Yeah. yeah. I, I'm, about, a, I'm aware. I know the character is. Thank you. <laughs> Ursula and the Little Mermaid. Do you answer? Yeah. She's a sea witch, and a witch is just a female wizard. I mean, I don't know any half octopi people that can do magic so you know that's probably a magician that's great <laughs> <laughs> one stone okay <laughs> all right next question what's your favorite cuddly fantasy creature in film and what's the scariest todd oh. writes gremlins and gremlins uh philip writes clearly there's only one <laughs> correct cuddly answer here and it's totoro uh justin writes i would add the dark crystal and the, sorry, the Dark Crystal and the Dark Crystal and Never Ending Story and the Labyrinth. Uh, Michael has uh, Gizmo and Rachel has E.T. The Velociraptor. As the cuddly? Yes. Okay. <laughs> uh, what? Sorry, a, a compi as the cuddly. A Velociraptor is the scary. What about Blue? I would cuddle with Blue. <laughs> I wouldn't. I, I don't trust him. Yeah, I don't think I trust him. He's, he's oh, got... there's, there's teeth. And those big claws, the big retractable claws. He'll still be alive when he eats me. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I would, Mr. Pricklepants. I, I would throw that um, that that big that big monster in Willow in there. That, like, actually, a lot of things in Willow are kind of scary. It's some weird monsters in that movie. Yeah. Is is Lotso hugging bear technically a monster? He smells like strawberries. But he's a living teddy bear, therefore he's a monster. Oh, he's, a, he's designed for cuddling. Oh, you broke so. the question. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> All right. Last question here. What villains have the best look in fantasy sci-fi films? Chris writes oh. Sting in Dune. Philip has the Red Skull in Captain America, colon, the first Avenger. Thank you for writing, colon. And Darth Maul in Star Wars, colon, episode one, dash, the Phantom Menace. Thank you for writing, dash. <laughs> 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 I, I, I like when the listeners adhere to our, our pronunciation of punctuation rules, or the PPs as I call them. Uh, Todd writes Gary Oldman as Zorg in The Fifth Element. Michael has Ozymandias from Watchmen. Rachel has Isma and Kronk from Emperor's New Groove Urs and Ursula. Is she really dressed though? Or is that just kind of like she wakes up and is like, I'm Ursula? Like, is that, a, I don't know. Um, and, <laughs> she gets I, dressed. I, 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 I forget if they like have clothes in this in the Little Mermaid universe. I guess they kind of do, right? Um, well, she has lipstick and, and she yeah, has, yeah, she like, has to do her hair, hair and stuff. Okay, fine. So, which must be difficult. not all about clothes. Though. Must be difficult because they're underwater. Which I, again, I can't wait to see how this is handled in uh, Aquaman. Uh, it's like they they do their hair. I don't... And uh, Justin has Loki. Best dressed people in these movies. What do, what do you think, guys? Maleficent, Sleeping Beauty, uh-huh. Darth uh, Vader. Who else? I'm gonna I'm gonna go with the the Hogwarts students. I love. I mean, I clearly, you know, I own. I've seen your Halloween costumes. Slytherin <laughs> robe and a sweater and a scarf and a tie and a Quidditch uniform. So I'm gonna go with the students of Hogwarts. Um, 
the white Tilda Swinton as the White Witch in the first Narnia had some pretty fabulous outfits. I'm going to go with Colin Farrell in the first Fantastic Beasts. Water up. He has a, a delightful coat. I'm just going to throw Wakanda out there, guys. I mean, everybody's had, they got color for one thing. They got all these different costumes. It's all over the place. Um, or just completely opposite and say Dark City because you know, keep it simple. You know, a hat, coat, done. Oh, the Adjustment Bureau. Yeah, the adjust- there you go, the Adjustment Bureau. Oh, yeah, yeah, there you go. <laughs> Everybody's got a bowler and a fedora. <laughs> All right. Hats. Hats galore. It must have been an easy day for John Slattery. He's like, oh, we're doing hats? Okay, I do this on the other show. <laughs> I have, bring I have 12 in my closet. <laughs> yeah, I got this going, guys. Want to bring anybody else? Rich Saunders right around the corner. I can bring him in. <laughs> uh, All right, well, now we get to our questions where uh, several... Actually, two listeners asked us multiple questions this week. This is going to alternate, alternate between friend of the show, Jim Dietz, and uh, Richard Sheldon. Uh, first up, Jim asks, do you think VOD movies should be included in the Oscars or only movies that have had no matter how limited a theatrical release? Uh, yeah, I don't see any reason why not. Is this, I brought up, is this like a Netflix question? I think specifically, yeah. I, I think just in general, just movies that debut on VOD at this point and have no theatrical releasing. Hmm. Uh, <laughs> I think it, it levels the playing field because not all uh, filmmakers might be able to afford a, uh, a cinema release. But they still might yeah, be really think, good at films. Yeah, I think the sort of the one-week qualifier situation, you know, isn't really great if you don't live in New York, L.A. So, I yeah, don't I mean, I, I've had a lot of buzz for the Sisters Brothers. We don't get that in the U.K. until April next year. So that can't have any uh, awards nominations, as far as I'm concerned, because I can't watch it before the ceremony. It's quite good. <laughs> I, um, so I hear. Yeah. I can't wait to see it, but I, I have to. I think I feel that they should have a qualifying run in a the theater because my my philosophy behind this is so if they don't, and let's say they go straight to Netflix. So we're supposed to believe that the TV shows that go to Netflix are TV shows. So then what separates the straight-to-Netflix movies from a TV movie like The Tale, which decided to premiere on HBO, which was a great film, but it was eligible for Emmy Awards, not Oscars, because of how it got picked up at Sundance and decided to be released. And that's where it becomes conflicting and confusing. Obviously, things are changing in, in distribution, um, but I sort of feel like it's got to play at least a week in a theater to qualify. I hear that. I hear what you're saying in that to that degree is that how the tale worked was it always intended to well not no, always it, was it, it was no, it was picked up at sundance it became yeah it played HBO. at sundance it was uh, up for sale <laughs> and hbo ended up buying it and and put it on their network and just as easily could have gone a uh, platform release and then maybe laura dern would be in the oscar conversation who knows so when you consider things like that it becomes more complicated to discern the difference between tv and films do we have to evaluate intent it's also a matter of where, what like platform it's debuting on. Like, like HBO is very clearly a, it is a, it is a television channel. Like it is, it is, it's where something like Netflix is, you know, that's not specifically dealing in TV. It kind of, mm. you know what Although I'm saying? They, like, where I, I don't know. I guess I'm, I, I understand. Well, I understand I, what you're I saying. I hear you because there's the the like you're saying the evolving nature of, of you know digital platforms what have you it makes it does make it complicated i don't deny that yeah having a being on a big screen for a qualifying run that it just that just feels to me that feels like such a an antiquated way of saying this counts now 
And again, we are dealing with uh, 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 an organization that, for better or worse, is very antiquated, despite mm-hmm. efforts in recent years to induct new, more diverse, more progressive membership. I mean, even great films that premiered on Netflix in, in past years, like Beasts of No Nation, were not recognized whatsoever by the Oscars, probably because all these old white dudes were like, that's not a movie. And so I think just to you know protect... But like it's going to be interesting to see this year what happens with Roma and Buster Scruggs, which are arguably two of the um, Roma specifically, biggest, yeah, it's, yeah, Roma specifically, two of like the most likely films Netflix has had to have Oscar consideration. I'm curious to see if the Netflix factor still hinders those films' chances. I mean, Mudbound got four nominations last year. I mean, that's true. Not, not that's best true. picture, that, but it certainly you know that it did op- feel like a turning point. I, I don't disagree. I'm, I think I'm just a little bitter over Idris Elba, but. That's fair. And another way I look at it, too, is how does history factor into all this? Though? Like, you look like growing all of us grew up presumably watching films since we're here doing a film podcast. So we have an affinity for this genre or this this uh, medium. I mean, none of us grew up watching The Godfather or Citizen Kane in theaters. Right. We all saw it at home on a shitty TV, presumably for the first time. Right. Yeah. I mean, absolutely. It, yeah. take that versus, a, you know, today is it how are we going to reflect others in the future is like, well, th- back in the day, it didn't count because it didn't debut in a theater for a week at a time first. So clearly it couldn't have gotten an Oscar. It's just like, I, I look that's at the, a very good point. I look at things and that's like, well, when did you grow up? Did you, were you able to see the history of films that came out before you were born in the theater? Uh, no, you saw, you saw it like we did on some random TV somewhere. It's yeah. like, what's, where's that separation, I guess. Anyway, we have four more, five more questions to go through. <laughs> so it's, but it, I think that's an interesting question. It's one that, I mean, will be continue to be, be debated by people that are in a higher up position than we are. So. But um, let's see. Rich asks, uh, what film currently in development for a reboot remake should never be remade? Clue. I, I can see. Cl- really? I mean, you can't. I don't want it. I, well, I think the first one's perfect. I and I, I I don't I don't want a new one. Honestly, I, I just, don't I, I don't think it can be any better. Maybe it's because I just I'm okay with Clue. I think there's like good stuff in it, but I'm not like in love with that movie. So it's like oh, you I can get you can get a bunch Clue. of funny people together again to do a new version of Clue. Like it seems like that's it's rife for something. I don't want them to. Okay. Well, <laughs> I'd like the first one. West Side not, not my Story. Professor Plum. <laughs> you don't want West Side Story remade? Nope. I don't like. I think that there's only two areas of improvement that you can make on a movie that won 10 Oscars, including Best Picture. And uh, those have all already been done on stage touring productions. So I don't think that you need to redo it. I'm trying to think of other ones that are in development. Apparently there's an American Werewolf remake coming out being written by Max Landis. Oh yeah, I don't need like, that at all. I'd like to oh, stop that. <laughs> yeah, that. Yeah, let's stop that right away. Mm. <laughs> let's put a pin in that one, guys. Okay, I think we got our answer. <laughs> um, it, it's with, um, I guess it's coming out, so it's not really in development, but and I can't remember what the original is called because, again, I'm having a brain fart, but the remake's coming out with Brian Cranston and Kevin Hart. Oh, The Untouchables. Yeah, The Untouchables, yeah. Yeah. Um, which is pretty good. And then I saw the trailer just this uh, weekend in front of Widows, and it looks suspect. I'm I'm the one guy in the world that didn't like The Untouchables, so I'm like, I don't care. <laughs> it's just, of all the movies to turn into a like a Kevin Hart vehicle, it just doesn't seem... Because, you know, if Kevin Hart was, was doing something different than his normal shtick, okay, but in the trailer, at least, it seemed like he was just 
being Kevin Hart, which I don't think is the right fit for that story, but we'll see. All right. Well, next question we have here. This one's from Jim again. What are your favorite postmodern westerns? Oh God, Rango. <laughs> Rango, that's a great. I like no more comment. I'm a huge fan of Rango. I'm a huge <laughs> fan of um, Macquarie's first film, The Way of the Gun. Um, so I, I put that in there. I mean, I love the assassination of Jesse James by the coward Robert Ford. If you would call that a postmodern western, I'm not sure. I'd, I'd factor that in there. I yeah, think that's a brilliant that. film. Not really a western, but the proposition. I, I mean, it's an Australian western. It's a, it it's certainly feels like a western. It just doesn't take place in the American West. It takes place yeah. in Australia. Yeah, that is a good movie. That throw hell or high no water. Country for old men. Yeah, no country as well. Yeah, right yeah, there. yeah. Hell or high water for me. That's a good. That's yeah. good yeah. All right, Richard asks if the MCU was started in 1968 rather than 2008, who would you cast as the different Avengers? This feels like this could go on a while. Let's try to oh, narrow geez. this down for a couple times. <laughs> So what are we doing? Uh, recasting the Avengers of people from the from ni- that would be popular in 1968 or around that era. Oh Jesus! It's like a lot of work. Yeah, it does. Yeah, I think Paul Newman would be like a, I don't know. He could be a cap. <laughs> sure. I, was, I was thinking him for a. For a I was going to say Robert Redford. <laughs> Robert Redford's cap. That makes more sense. Yeah, let's go with that. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Cary Grant as Hawkeye. Might <laughs> be an old. Uh, oh, John John Wayne as Nick Fury. There you go. <laughs> Steve McQueen is <as> Thor. <laughs> oh, hell yes. Hell yes. Uh, you could be uh, Hulk. You could be Hulk. Uh, 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 oh, uh, Anthony Perkins. <laughs> I was say, Anthony Perkins is pretty good. It's a mass banner. <laughs> or uh, what you need his like alter ego, so I was going to go Rock Hudson. Yeah, yeah there you yeah. go. Yeah. Arnold's around. Arnold, now, Arnold, Arnold can do, Arnold's around in the in sixty eight. He's like just emerging and like what? Stay hungry or whatever. Like he's he can do something. Um, uh, Liz Taylor for Black Widow. Um, or Ava Marie Saints could you know, She's kind yeah, of better at that yeah. point. Uh, Need to have a Maria Hill in there as well. Janet so. Lee. <laughs> I want Connery to do something. Oh yeah, where would Connery? Don't know in? what. He can be Loki. There Loki. We go. Loki. Yeah. <laughs> He's already been in the other Avengers. <laughs> I just picture him like holding the the fucking stone. <laughs> I think uh, Warren Beatty could be a pretty good Iron Man. Oh yeah, perfect. Yeah, yeah that's it. Yeah. If, if if Jack Nicholson's saying no, then... Uh, Which he is. <laughs> yeah, yeah, he is. Okay, I think we've done this. Okay. <laughs> uh, Jim asks, what movie would you like to see upgraded or remastered to 4K that hasn't been yet? The Abyss. I mean, Sorry. yeah. The Abyss isn't even a Blu-ray. So, I know. That's so, yeah, a little the Abyss. Uh, enthusiastic about that. I apologize. Um, I mean, yeah, I... I assume Titanic's probably coming along any day now as well, and you know, all the all the Cameron features. Dark uh, City would be nice on on 4K. Um, yeah, I mean, there's there's tons of stuff that's, that's yeah. coming. All right, last question here. Uh, Richard asks, what IP has not yet been adapted to the screen that you would like to see? You get this one every so often. Any IPs out there that you're like, yeah, let's get this going? I would have said Good Omens, but that's coming to TV soon, so I'm I'm okay. Just yeah, ter- Terry Pratchett is what i'd like to see and they're doing that more now the 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 watch coming out soon as well um 
Yeah, I, I might have said uh, the King Killer Chronicle, but um, I know Lin Manuel Miranda is working on a TV show of that I believe. But those books are really quite good. I'm gonna go Seraph of the End, which was this anime that only had two seasons, but has like about 20 seasons worth of story. Uh, and it would make a great movie or five. All right. I never have answers for these. Like I, I, never, I always come up blank with like, what would I like to see? What IP do I need to see? Uh, yeah, I don't know. It's probably some video game where I'm like, yeah, maybe this will actually work, but I don't have any faith, so I don't care. Um, Crash Bandicoot. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, there you go. Crash Bandicoot. Ryan Reynolds can voice him too. He can voice all of them, right? Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. He's a detective now. Mm. Um, all right. That's not enough feedback. Be back, be back, be back. Thank you. Thank you for all the listeners for all the answers and questions. Always good to get those. Let's move on. Now let's start wrapping things up here, guys. Uh, let's move on to Out Now Presents What's Out Now. These are movies that are coming out on Blu-ray, 4K, DVD, streaming, anything like that. Uh, first up on all the uh, home releases this week, uh, Crazy Rich Asians. Feel free to give a yay or nay to any of these as I read them. I yay. still want to see it. It's very charming. Yes. Uh, blind Spotting. I'm a huge fan of Blind Spotting. As am I. Oh, yeah, it's great. <laughs> um, Kin. This is that one with, like, the kid with the gun, right? He's, like, he's like the kid, and he's oh. like, a big alien gun or something. It's like, isn't James Franco in that, too? Yeah, James Franco's, like, reprising his role as alien, I think, in that movie or something. Like, he's, like, a gangster or something like that. Um, and that one guy, what's his name, from Sing Street, the brother. Uh, Jack Rayner. Jack Rayner, thank you. He's, he's from over there, right? You know you know, he, he yeah. lives down the street from you, right? That's how it works. I think he's Irish, but okay. Yeah, that's uh, it's right across the right across the pond. Actually, he, he's born in Colorado. <laughs> <laughs> All right. What do um, we know? Yeah, none of us saw this movie, I think, so it doesn't really matter anyway. But um, what's next? Little Italy. Why did I write this down? Oh, because it has Hayden Christensen and Emma Roberts, I think. And I'm like, Hayden Christensen's making movies. That's good for him. I, I still want to know why you wrote it down. <laughs> I like I like pointing out these new releases that are coming out. And it's like, oh, Hayden Christensen's got a movie. Good for him, I guess. Um, fireworks. This is an anime from uh, Shout Factory that's coming out. I didn't see this one. Anybody see the fireworks or know what this is? Oh. Doesn't sound like it. Okay. Um, also from Shout Factory this week, Holy Motors. This is, That's the... Uh, oh, what's the name of this one? Danny Levant. Danny Levant. Yeah, there we go. Uh, it's got a new uh, collector's edition out this week. Are there any Holy Motors fans on this podcast? I know this one's... It can be polarizing. Um, I like a good portion of it, uh-huh. particularly the accordion scene. Oh yeah, I watched that over and over again. Um, it it's uh, it's a lot of movie. It's a lot. It is, and it's one like I want to revisit it someday because it's like I do like a lot of this. Maybe if I watch it again, I'll like I'll appreciate it more. <laughs> yeah, I, I sort of I sort of feel that too. Yeah. Um, also out on Scream Factory, uh, I mentioned Candyman. That's out. Also, Urban Legend and Urban Legend Final Cut. Oh, both get new uh, Blu-ray releases this week. I might have to pick those up. Urban Legend, which uh, Brandon Peters from the show reviewed, has like a massive, like two-hour retrospective documentary on it. So it's like they really went to town. I have a, a fond memory of seeing that movie because I remember there was a big hurricane in town, which happened a lot growing up in Florida. Mm-hmm. There was one movie theater in like a thirty-mile radius that still had power, and it was like an oversold showing of Urban Legend with people. They like let people sit on the floor because there was nothing else to do. <laughs> Um, let's see, on Criterion this week, we have Some Like It Hot and uh, the Ingmar Bergman Cinema Collection, which is basically all of Ingmar Bergman's films in one giant box set. So, yeah, Criterion's uh, really working it out this week. Um, also out there, The Outer Limits Season 2 on Blu-ray. 
for Outer Limits fans. Um, 2001 A Space Odyssey gets his 4K remaster out this week. I didn't get a chance to see this in its uh, theatrical release, but uh, I'm sure it'll look spectacular on its new release. And lastly, Dr. Seuss is How the Grinch Stole Christmas on 4K. This is the Jim Carrey version, which I, I, I'm i not a fan of. <laughs> it's actually been uh, surprising to me over the last couple weeks with the new one out to see how much nostalgia there is for that one. Yeah, that feels like a case of, I saw that when it came out, as opposed to, it's really good. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like, it's really not. It's not. <laughs> it's way too long. I remember going to the theaters when I was younger. That's what it feels like when I see that kind of thing. <laughs> yep, exactly. Uh, all right. Uh, coming out on Netflix this week, we mentioned The Ballad of Buster Scruggs. That's out now. Uh, the Kaminsky Method. This is a TV show with uh, Alan Arkin and Michael Douglas. It's like eight episodes. I watched this. It's uh, It's enjoyable. So, yeah, it's out there. Uh, Narcos Mexico for Narcos fans. It's, it's like a whole new thing now because I got Diego Luna and Michael Pena as like the stars of this. Yeah, I'd like to watch it. I like those guys a lot. I haven't followed Narcos, but I assume Pedro Pascal has either died or it just doesn't cover his character anymore. Because <laughs> I'm like, oh. He's From what I hear, it's basically unrelated. Like you don't have to have seen the other ones to watch it. It's like a yeah. sister series. Yeah, my dad's a big fan of Narcos and he's been watching Mexico and he's like really enjoying it. So good. It's, seems to be holding its thing um she-ra and the Pow- princess of power oh that's on netflix now i hear that's pretty good yeah i i heard that i was like oh that's a thing okay <laughs> and uh lastly uh, trevor noah son of patricia so I, I guess a new comedy special from trevor noah it's on netflix on prime this week um kung fu panda the pause of destiny I, I assume this is a TV series. <laughs> I just really wanted to say all of that title because it amused me. Um, the documentary McQueen is now on Prime, which, oh. which I've heard a lot of good things about. Um, not related to either Steve McQueen. Um, and uh, Siberia is a Keanu Reeves movie. They like came out like randomly throughout the year um, in his downtime between John Wick films, I guess. So, yeah. Uh, next week, that's how, that's what's out now. Next week's show. Next week, we got another double episode. We're going to be talking Creed 2 and Ralph Breaks the Internet. Sorry, Robin Hood fans. We will not be talking Robin Hood. <laughs> also, yes, there is a Robin Hood movie that opens on 2,700 screens next week. Just putting all that out there just to make sure you all know. Covering all my bases. You don't need to go and see it. Jamie no Foxx is Little John. So there you go. Um, last thing we do here. What should people plan to <laughs> Sorry, I just the idea that there's a Robin Hood movie opening on that many screens and nobody knows about it just amuses me to no end. Um, I think people know, just nobody cares. <laughs> yeah, that too. <laughs> I think that's yeah, that's more apt. I'm so confused about the costumes because they all look very professionally done, yet it takes place in the time of Robin Hood. So it's like... Don't get me started. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I'm it, it just seems like why don't we just set it in modern times? That's at least something novel. At least instead of doing the same thing that you've done with every other Robin Hood movie. But okay, whatever. Um, last thing we do here: what should people go and see now, and what do you plan to see next? Terrence, let's start with you. What should people see in theaters right now? Uh, go see Widows because um, it's great, and we've t- talked about it at length. And what am I interested to see? Uh, Besides Robin I'm, Hood. Uh, oh God. Uh, I I am kind of intrigued to see Creed two um and how it sort of positions itself as it continues to mine the mythology of the other rocky movies but also without ryan coogler in the director's chair how that turns out maxwell which people see in theaters right now um yeah beyond what we've already talked about um if it's playing near you i would 
say go see Wildlife. Um, it's pretty good and features some really excellent performances. Um, what I'm going to see next, uh, probably Creed 2 and The Favorite. All right. And Jay, uh, what would you people say? Uh, I've not seen much else that's out at the moment, so I'm just going to have to say go see Widows, don't go see Fantastic Beasts. <laughs> and uh, my next thing will probably be uh, Ralph Breaks the Internet, uh, if I'm lucky. If not, then Mary Poppins Returns. I don't know. I don't get to go to the cinema very often. <laughs> Yet you host a weekly podcast where you cover. All yeah, I, it's 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 interesting how <laughs> <laughs> that works. <laughs> um, yeah, I would say uh, Widows is quite strong. I would say Overlord is very good. Uh, a lot of it's very fun, and I wish it would be more successful. So I'll just keep recommending it as much as I can until it loses theaters to Robin Hood next week. And um, Buster Scruggs is on Netflix. That's it. Doesn't get easier than that, guys. So there you go. <laughs> um, and next, I'm seeing Spider-Man into the Spider-Verse tomorrow, so I'm Ooh. kind of excited about that. Um, yeah, that should be fun. I, I think it looks a lot of fun. Um, so yeah, another uh, film with a Brian Tyree Henry performance. Yeah. So yeah. he's everywhere. Mm-hmm. And with that, that's going to do it for this week's episode about Now with Aaron and Abe. You can find more of my work at my personal blog, thecodezeek.com. All my written movie reviews are over there, as well as on We Live Entertainment. Speaking of which, I am covering The Walking Dead there as well. And you can find me on Twitter at Aaron's PS4. Uh, Terrence, where can we find more of you online? Uh, you can find me on the Rotten Tomatoes now, officially, I guess. Um, <laughs> because allegedly, that's when my reviews show up. Uh, you can also find me at lenoirauto.net. And I'm on Twitter and Instagram at L-E-N-O-I-R-A-U-T-E-U-R. Jay? Uh, yeah, I'm the uh, Shepherd of the Lamb, the large association of movie blogs. So if you have a uh, movie blog, amateur, professional, doesn't matter, and want to be part of our community, that's how Aaron and I met each other, uh, then head to largeassmovieblogs.com and join up there. You can find me on Twitter at, at LambThe. Uh, weekly podcast is the Lambcast. If you like the Harry Potter talk, we had a Fantastic Beast Crimes of Grindelwald show this week, and last week we did two shows covering the entire Harry Potter franchise that totaled about five hours of content. Oh, that mm. sounds terrible. Okay, it was uh, uh, an ordeal to edit because it started out with about six hours of content. So, oh boy, <laughs> but very fun shows, very very entertaining shows. Maxwell, that's the Lamb. Uh, yeah, follow me on Twitter at Cinemaxwell and go see American Son on Broadway, which I am an investor in and I'm very proud of, and it stars Kerry Washington. All right. Uh, you can find all the other episodes about Now Third and Abe over on iTunes, as well as on Audioboom, Spotify, and Stitcher. Uh, you can find our podcast everywhere. It's all over the place. You can also email us any thoughts you might have had on anything we covered on this week's show at outnowpodcasts at gmail.com. You can follow us on Facebook and Twitter at facebook.com slash outnowpodcast and twitter.com slash underscore podcast. Feel free to send plenty of scary clown gifts to Abe over at outnowpodcast.tumblr.com or any kind of scary <laughs> gifts in general. If you can find scary gifts of Liam Neeson, which I think you can, send those to Abe. All those work. Um, so yeah, uh, Maxwell, Terrence, Jay, thank you all very much for joining me this evening. Thank, thank you. Thanks for having me. For sure. And we'll be happy to have you guys back at some other time. But until next time, until next week when we don't talk about Robin Hood, uh, so long and goodbye.
I mean, Colleen Atwood's involved. I so you know this will win an Oscar or whatever. But um, the, uh, <laughs> the first one did, so yeah. You know, I like this one because it's like it's like this is like something somebody would say like in the theater. They're having so much fun; it's illegal. <laughs> <laughs> I love to hear somebody like watch this movie like they're having so much fun; it's illegal. Just yell that out in the middle of the theater, and people like start clapping for that guy. It's like, yeah, they're you're right. That is true. <laughs> I picture the most obnoxious audiences when I go to the movie theaters, apparently.